Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. We're doing something different. We're uh, we're recording this in the evening. Yeah, it's, it's outside of our outside of our normal uh, operating kind of zone. That's all right. It's good. I took some lion's mane today, so we'll see if that works or not. Right, keeping you going. Anything else? Have you taken anything else today? Ooh, what else did I take today? That's a good question. Uh, I took some vitamin C. Ooh, yes. The kids got sniffles. Mm-hmm. Um. Not just the lion's mane today. Usually I do take some cordyceps or some chaga or actually, you know, I had a, a Van Mushroom Co. Reishi Kombucha. Ooh, always good. Uh, that hit the spot. Steph Daycare, friend of the pod. But uh, yeah, we'll see if that lion's mane is supposed to keep the old, the old noodle tuned up. So <laughs> there you go. If I can be coherent, uh, you know, after putting two kids down to sleep. Yeah, it takes, it takes something out. Takes, I always say like uh, nothing makes you more tired yeah. than, than putting children to sleep. Yes. Oof. It's hard to come back t- to life after bouncing a, a toddler on an exercise ball for 45 minutes. So, But here we are. I apologize to all of you if uh, none of my thoughts make sense. Yeah, yeah, you make you make sense. You make sense. It's all good. Thanks, Dean. Thanks, Dean. So let's talk about today's pod. Who do we got? Juno Kim. The, Juno Kim. The one and only. So good. What a journey that guy had from South Korea to Montreal to Port Moody to Vancouver. Multiple careers, multiple directions, which yeah. all led to the person that he is today. It's incredible. Yeah. The, from the moment I met him, um, obviously the conversation of the podcast, even he did before we started recording, he just wanted to do like a little kind of grounding meditation with us. Yes. So we just, before turning the mics on to record, we just did that. And it was, uh, it was so amazing. Like it just set the tone for the conversation. Yes. And stick around uh, to the very end of the conversation because he offers uh, just what can only be described as like a beautiful kind of embodied meditation, like a body scan. Head to toe. Oh, and it's so good. I've never, I've never had the experience of being in a room listening to someone as he was like doing, leading us through, but feeling like I was totally somewhere else. Like I felt like I was laying down in my bed upstairs. Like I was just... It was incredible. I was totally not there, but fully present. I was kind of the same. I kind of hit like a bit of a lucid state. I was very aware of Juno's, uh, like listening to Juno's words and and what he was saying. But uh, 
I was kind of kind of somewhere else at the same time. Yeah, uh, he's a very gifted individual, wise, uh, wise man, but also like just a, a, a keen and eager student of life, which is super cool. And he, uh, it shines through in everything he said and the way he carries himself. So it was a, it was a wonderful conversation, and we're so so excited to be able to share it with you today. Kind of with Gian last week too. It's kind of these back to back. Mindful men, yeah, uh, you know, healthy masculinity, he- healthy role models of, of what uh, kind of taking off that uh, that mask of toxic masculinity can look like. Yeah, and you know, I'm just even just as you said that, putting it together now that both of them, kind of in the in the footnotes of their journey of like notable notable people that kind of uh, encouraged, led, taught them you know, imparted wisdom on them throughout their, throughout their journeys. Uh, they both cite women as like really formative and important. And so I think that's really cool just as a, as a little even takeaway is like we often look to teachers and leaders and the people that we think of most are men. And it's really cool to see some of these guys who are leading cool stuff saying, no, it's these women that have poured into me that are like making the biggest difference. So yeah, stick around for this one all the way to the end. Like I say, follow through with that meditation. That's something that you can do daily if you wanted uh, to come back to and listen to again. So Juno Kim, is uh, this is a great conversation. Love it. Love it if you would share it with a friend who you think uh, it would resonate with. And if you listen through and you like it, make sure you give him a shout out on uh, on Instagram too at uh, Juno Kim, J-U-N-0-K is his handle. There you go. Yeah. Releasing trauma through embodiment and compassion. Juno Kim. All right, so we got uh, we got a tasty sponsor for this week. The tastiest of sponsors. Tastiest. Sometimes I get overwhelmed and I freak out, and I don't know what to do. I got cereal, I got toast, I got smoothies, and right. you know I got things in the cupboard that I don't know what to do with. I look up on the old Googles on the internet some recipes, and there's a lot of recipes on that Google. So there's a few. There's a few. And it tells me I need a flax egg, and I need. Something that I don't know how to make. What do you do? I panic. That's a scary situation. And then the light. There was light. Yeah. Fresh prep. Fresh prep. That's who you call. That's right. It's a great meal prep service that delivers fresh prepped meals to your door. Uh, it's an excellent service that you can take part in. So if you're wondering, oh, what am I going to cook? Or do I have this ingredient? If you're looking at a great recipe, not only does Fresh Prep have great recipes, but they also have everything you need. So you don't have to worry if you're going to be out of this or that. It all comes there. Cook it, make it, feed all the fam, the friends, or make make a bunch of meals, meal prep for the week. There you go. Take, the, take the stress out of cooking. You yeah. Know? The other super cool thing about Fresh Prep, you can uh, they've got that zero waste. Yes. Which is huge. Pioneering the zero waste with the meal prep service. Yeah. That's going to... That's gonna, be huge for them. Like that's an amazing move as a business, but that's going to be huge for them going forward. And if you're not sold already, we got a little, little something extra for you. We got a little something extra for you. If you uh, hit up their website, freshprep.ca and you're perusing and you know, you see the solution to your mealtime dilemmas and you want to make an order well, we can hook you up. We got a little promo code from the good people at Fresh Prep at uh, checkout. Punch in SC Juice, all caps. And this will provide a new member with three free meals on their first order. That's like almost a $40 value that they're hooking, a, hooking you up with. So that's great. So have no fear. 
Fresh prep is here. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, while you're while you're settling in to listen to this great episode with Juno Kim, don't let the mealtime scaries get you. All right, guys. Fresh prep, Juno Kim. Two things you don't want to miss out on in life. Hope you guys enjoy this this podcast. We'll see you on the flip side. All right, here we go. Another day, another pod. Yes. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. We're, we're here with the legendary, legendary Juno Kim. Yeah. Mover, mover shaker, <laughs> thought leader, dan- your, dancer. Your words, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Juno just led us through a little um, kind of body scan embodiment meditation here. And... I don't know. I'm feeling really good after that. So thank you. It was good. It was a good start to, I think, what will be a really good conversation. So I appreciate that very yeah. much. Yeah, yeah I look too. forward to it. it was, that meditation was more for myself than anything. <laughs> well, Glad we, to do it in community, though. Yeah, we, we benefited <laughs> greatly. <laughs> I was saying I was feeling just a little bit of a you know, rat race headspace totally. running around today, mm-hmm. not necessarily grounded, mind going in a few directions. So mm. that was a nice little you know, check in, tune in to reground myself before, uh, you know, enjoying this conversation with you. Yeah, for sure. I find it so, so crazy how different our experiences once we tap into our feet on the ground mm-hmm. and our breath in the moment. Like, <clears throat> ooh, just changes everything. Yeah. Well, like, I remember reading about this grounding and uh, the first time I read it, I was like, oh, that's, that's some woo-woo stuff. Oh, yeah. And then I started walking <laughs> around, like, being like, oh, uh, well, I'll try it, whatever. I'll give it a try. And I just remember, like, walking intentionally without mm-hmm. shoes or socks on, like, through grass and moss and dirt. And it was, like, such a sensory experience of walking that, um, you know, I usually would not have because I have shoes on. I'm not paying mm-hmm. attention to the feel of the ground or Mm. the feel of the things that I'm walking on. And Mm. it it almost like, even though I thought, read this, I'm like, okay, this is woo-woo, just trying it almost was uh, a meditative experience just by connecting to my feet, like you were saying, and and a sensory experience of what, I mean, there's so many nerve endings on our feet, right? Totally. I think everyone can relate to feeling that like headiness where like you're kind of lost in your thoughts and you're kind of lost in this like loop and this like dreamlike state. And a lot of times it's actually quite unpleasant. Mm. And then just to bring the attention awareness into your sensory experience and your felt experience. And it just takes you out of that mode and just reconnects you to whatever's coming up in the body in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I find that switch to be so impactful, especially for people like me who have had anxiety most of my life. It's just, yeah, such a nice breath of fresh air <laughs> to be able to find something to lean on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Connection, connection to ourselves and then connection to like the, the world, mm-hmm. literally. Totally. At our feet. Yeah. yeah it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> well, should we take it back a little bit? We'll go. We always, we always joke that it's kind of a, the podcast time machine where we jump from <laughs> past, present, future. Yeah. So we, we've, there's a bit of a mixed soup of, of timeline. We've just figured out how to time travel. Amazing. And it's just, you just jump around in it's the a, timeline. It's this old, old 
skill called conversation. <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> it's not a tweet. It's not a, it's not a IG post. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> connecting and conversing. <laughs> All right. So kind of my adult um, experience has a lot of shared timeline with, with yourself. Uh, when we launched the juice truck in 2011, even before that in 2010, when we were, you know, working on the, the business model and we're dropping off flyers to, <laughs> to businesses being that. like, Hey, like we're launching this wacky juice, juice business <laughs> in an old truck and we're going to be your neighbor. Um, you were one of the first people we connected with. You were managing and purchasing for uh, a fashion boutique called Chrome Yellow. Yeah. And uh, we kind of connected, like, you, you kind of, that became, like, between yourself, Inner Space Yoga, and a few others, we kind of, mm. like, had this Abbott Street community. Totally. And you were a big connector and facilitator and part of that community. And um, that, that is cool that... Uh, you know, you showed up and supported and uh, kind of filled our cups both, uh, <laughs> you know. Both ways. Yeah. And <laughs> symbolically, you know, I always had thoughtful questions and, you know, I'll, I'll end my Juno Kim monologue in, the, in a second <laughs> and ask a few questions. But uh, just for context, like uh, I remember, you know, you were, you're, curiosity for food was starting around then too and you would mm. like you know we were mm-hmm. there to serve others but yeah. you were serving us you you know would come with uh you know oh i made this yesterday here try this what do you think i like use this spice with this you know herb with this and it was like kind of this alchemy this artistry of uh food experimentation and we got to be your your happy guinea pigs so. <laughs> yeah my entire like testing the market before launch was entirely within the juice truck truck. Like, <laughs> that's where it happened. I, I even that's remember, all I needed. <laughs> I, ever, I even remember we had this like raw chai brownie and like you. you oh, know, yeah. Can I, can I try something with this? We're like, sure. It's like raw. It'll melt really easily. But like, go ahead and you come back like 10 minutes later and you're like, I creme brulee it. <laughs> it was yeah. so good. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, good memories. Yeah, I remember I remember you and Ryan, the day that you came into Chrome Yellow, like remember you two coming in and, you know, never met you before and y'all had a vibe and you had these like fun little flyers and it's so crazy thinking back then how much has changed. Like remember thinking like, a juice truck? Like, <laughs> is this really going to work? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they seem nice, but good yeah. luck. Yeah. And then like 20 brick and mortars later, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you didn't buy a smoothie a day, maybe we wouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah, good times. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> so let's rewind it back a little further. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to like, you know, for my own self, uh, self uh, serving purposes, <laughs> wanted to kind of like relive those fond memories. But let's take it back. Um, you were born in South Korea. Yeah, I was born in Seoul. I was actually born in Gangnam, which is like this, the part of Korea that uh, Gangnam style is based yeah, on. Yeah, famous. And so it's this famous area that's super wealthy. And, you know, my parents moved before the real estate boom happened. So we missed that, <laughs> that spike. But yeah. uh, here yeah. we are. Yeah. So I, I was born in Korea and then moved to Montreal when I was four. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Do you have any memories of living in Korea or is it kind of like... Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, 
and you know, we'll get into this, but I think most of my life I've kind of run away from my childhood. Okay. And um, in this kind of reckoning and this return to um, myself on a deeper level, feeling these memories that I forgot about mm. just resurfacing and, and arising in my consciousness. And it's kind of a trip. Yeah. Like I remember certain things, like I remember um, a field trip that I went on in my preschool. I don't know why I was in preschool. I was so young, but yeah. I, it was probably like the last thing I did before moving. Um, and then I remember my grandma who, on my dad's side, who, uh, who definitely like took care of me as, as a, as a baby and as a young toddler. Um, but yeah, not too much. Mm. Yeah. And do you remember, do you have like any first memories of moving to Montreal, moving to Canada of kind of the changes or what was, what that was like, uh, kind of, I mean, obviously you're young and we're adaptive mm. when we're, when we're young, but it's new a big culture, shift. new language, oh, yeah. uh, you know, new food, all of that. New weather. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Especially in Montreal. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Good although, seasons. Yeah. Although I think Korea definitely has some distinct seasons too. For sure. Um, but different. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't say I remember like details. Like and and part of my um, meditation practice is kind of tapping into into, you know, the memory of the body. And and you know, so far I haven't tapped deep into like the years where I was like four, five, six. I kind of remember like grade one and two, which yeah. was the last two grades I was in school before I moved to, to BC. Um, yeah, I, I do remember some things. Like I remember my dad had an antique store. That was kind of his like passion um, to, to <laughs> have an antique store. And yeah. uh, I remember being in there. I remember. What was the antique store like? I remember not appreciating it as a yeah, kid. Like yeah. I was a kid, right? And I was just like, what's all this old stuff? Like why, why do we need all this old stuff? And um, I remember living a block away from the store. Um, and so most of my time uh, in Montreal was actually spent in that antique store with my parents um, because, you know, it was just us. And so yeah. they'd be working the shop and I'd be You'd there be there. for the ride. <laughs> yeah. I always uh, loved antique stores, just like the smells... You know, like I, I felt like you're like walking into a museum yeah. and like each piece, I don't know, I'd always be like kind of trip on these things. Like each piece would have such a history mm, or story, totally. you know, like imagining where that mm. piece originated or who owned it previously or like who created it. Mm-hmm. It was like kind of fantastical in a way. Yeah, I think I have that appreciation now. Yeah. I did not. <laughs> I <laughs> hated it. So it's natural to like not necessarily appreciate like what is your given surrounding or like take it for granted mm, or totally. rebel against it. Actually, one fond memory I have servicing right now is um, I actually quite enjoyed going to uh, auctions with my dad because cool. that's where he would source a lot of these cool antiques. And um, I remember, yeah, just being so intrigued by uh, the auctioneer and the way that they would. Um, yeah, the, the, the way that they would speak. Yeah. yeah. And uh, another fond memory that I'm remembering is like falling asleep and then like my dad carrying me home and, you know, yeah. all that good stuff. So <laughs> that's a quintessential like kid memory. Yeah. Kind of, right? You like kind of wake up and then you just pretend you're sleeping oh, still. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's up, Dina. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Hmm. So English was actually your third language then, hey, like coming from. Korea to Montreal to BC. Is that how it worked? Yeah. Yeah. Good memory. That's wild. 
That's wild. Did you remember that? <laughs> Possibly. I don't know. We've had a lot of conversations <laughs> over the I'm last decade. Um, good memory yeah, or good guess. <laughs> <laughs> even I tend to forget that Somewhere sometimes. between the lines. Yeah. 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 All yeah. the above. Both <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think I've learned Korean first, obviously. And then when I moved to Montreal, learned French formally in school. And then I think the majority of my... English knowledge just came from like Sesame Street. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And then um and then I remember when I moved to uh Port Moody, BC, um going to school there and my parents wanted me to go to uh immersion school, but there be, being in BC there was a lot more focus on English. Um I, like I think we had an English class which we didn't in Montreal, I don't think. Um, and I remember being horrible at spelling mm. and like kids just making me f- making fun of me for it. Cause I'm in like grade four and like, didn't know I had to capitalize I yeah. <laughs> the pronoun I and like, yeah, lots of spelling that I didn't know. Yeah. Super, super fascinating that language journey. And are you still fluent in Korean and, and French? Yeah. Like I can French conversationally, yeah. um, Korean fluent, but like yeah. at like a grade two level, maybe okay. like That's cool. like I know what to speak with like at home, but I never um, have the practice to speak outside of my home. So like even if you put me in like a pretty you know elementary situation, like being in a restaurant, like I would struggle there. Like I don't know the things you would say at a restaurant because mm. like that's not how we. How right, I, uh, how I was raised. Um, Do you think so. in English when you're speaking in other languages? I'm always curious about because I only speak English. Oh, that's a great question. No, I don't actually. Um, and actually, there's a there's an interesting. I'm a psychology nerd. I, that's what I studied in university. Yes. And uh, there's like different like parts of ourselves that know kind of different languages. And so one funny thing is that um, I remember like being like being in one language mode. And so I would be speaking French, and this was before when I was more fluent. I'd be speaking French, and then like two sentences in, I'm like, oh, wait, I'm speaking the wrong language right now. <laughs> and I would switch back to English. Yeah, and so, yeah, it's quite interesting wow. how that works. But English is the only thing that I'm fluent in, I would say, um, more than conversationally, like okay. writing-wise. Like yeah. English is the only language that I... Uh, um, Do, you have proficient in. Do you have dreams that are like in French or in Korean? No, I don't think so. And like, I mean, oh, I'd have to like sit with that for a bit. But I think sometimes there's no language. Like there's communication. Yeah. But there's no actual like mm. language in the dream, right? Like you're just kind of like moving through with like a knowing. And uh, and there's not like an internal dialogue. Although I don't know. I don't yeah, really remember true, all my dreams. So <laughs> I know. I don't remember all of mine either. But uh, it's a curious state, right? Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah. Powerful. All right, one thing that I, I forgot but remembered uh, through listening to uh, Meg Globus's uh, friend of the pod, Meg Globus. Mm, shout out to me. She's out to the May. best. She's Crafts. the best. Oof, season two <laughs> coming at you. Yeah. Um, you had a great podcast with, with May, and you were talking about your two brothers in Korea, in South Korea. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? Judo has two brothers? And I remember you like telling us this story, but it completely like went to the back of my brain somewhere. Um, so you have two older brothers that live in South mm-hmm. Korea. So what was that like having a family grow mm-hmm. up in, you know, different parts of the world and like, yeah, talk us through that. Yeah, it was super interesting. Um, I think I might actually break up the story into two parts. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so 
there was the part of me that kind of went through it as a kid. And then there's a part of me revisiting that part of my life as, as an adult, um, through meditation and like feeling into some dynamics that I didn't know were there. Um, and then actually uncovering some more information. But when I was a kid, I legitimately thought, um, that, you know, they didn't want to learn English. They didn't want to leave their friend groups. They wanted to stay in Korea because that's what they knew and that's where they wanted to be. And so we made the move and my older brother, my oldest brother, I'm the youngest, my oldest brother actually moved with us. Um, and I remember he, he didn't, uh, I don't know what the specific issue was. Like, I, I don't think I had a relationship at that time. I mean, I was super young where we could talk about deep things. Yeah. So I'm not sure what troubled him, but I do remember that he wasn't, he wasn't well adjusted to life in, in Canada. Mm. And so, um, you know, I can only imagine how tough it would be, uh, especially back in those days in Montreal to go to high school and not know the primary language um, being an outsider, not having many friends. And, uh, you know, I think Vancouver is quite diverse, but I'm pretty sure he was uh, heavily a minority. And yeah. so, um, and, I, and I think there might have been other things going on. I'm not going to make assumptions for, for him. Um, and at the same time, felt the, yeah, the suffering in there. And, um, and so he actually went back to Korea after a while. Um, but yeah, my middle brother and I parted ways when I was four. My oldest brother... And I parted ways probably when I was around seven. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then so I kind of grew up on this other timeline. Yeah. In South and, Korea while you were growing up in Canada. Yeah. And I, at the time I believed that, uh, they were with my, my grandma and that they were, that she was caring for them and, um, that they wanted to stay in Korea. Um, yeah. And thinking back, like I was so young, but I didn't, uh, really know, but you know, I think there was a part of me that kind of like didn't get it like didn't mm -hmm. get how you know two blood brothers could be in korea and i'm here and like i don't even like talk to them like yeah. it's not like i call them up we didn't have like iMessage back then yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so like literally it's like a long distance call that would be yeah. expensive yeah to to make that connection happen and so um we fell apart um yeah like don't know much about them um it was kind of a trip yeah mm. yeah and are you guys, do you guys speak at all now or what does that uh, family dynamic look like? Yeah, I'll get more, more into like the, I guess the emotional side of it. Um, but yeah, my middle brother and I reconnected, Ooh, I think like 2017, he like shot me a message on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, whoa, this is a trip. Yeah. Super weird. Like and, no um, connection prior to that, really. No connection prior to that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And I'm like thinking like this is my blood brother. And like, and at the time I was going through a lot and we'll get into that, I'm sure. Um, but I was in a place where I was, you know, um, I had anxiety issues. I had depression. I, I was just not in a good place. And so um, actually around 2016, 2017, if you actually look at my social media, like I was heavy on engagement up to that point. And then at a certain point, I just stopped like responding to comments, responding to messages. Like I was just, I was in a place and, and so um, kind of went dark. And so I went dark on him as well. Like I didn't, I think I responded uh, once and then he like, reached out again and like asked some questions. And then I think I just went into a place where I didn't even check my messages forever. And then, yeah, I think he felt into that and felt uh, a little bit of resentment, I guess, like thinking that I thought I was better than him or something mm -hmm. like that. Like, I think that's what he communicated to me. 
And, um, but yeah, we've, uh, we've reconnected on a much deeper level after I've kind of gone through my healing journey, I'm still going through it. I don't know if healing journeys really ever end. I think it's a dynamic process. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, as I started to tap into uh, my inner child and healing some of those um, wounding and shaping that I received, um, felt this big opening and desire and like, you know, an innate desire to reconnect on, with him on a deep level. And so, yeah, we've exchanged many deep um, loving letters and and uh, the plan is to go visit him ASAP, ASAP wow. Rocky. As soon as, uh, yes. Yeah, as soon as, you know, we don't have to worry about um, anything regarding travel or getting, you know, any of his family sick. Mm-hmm. So he has a he has a son and uh, he sends me pictures of him and he's so cute. <laughs> yeah, so uncle. Yeah, I'm an uncle. I'm actually an uncle. And, uh, <laughs> and he's so cute. And if you actually line him up with baby pictures of myself, it's the resemblance is uncanny. It's That's just, crazy. And it, yeah, it's like, yeah, seeing a part of myself in another human being. Ooh. Yeah, that's, that's a cool. trip. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. And what about older bro? Did you guys reconnect or not yet? Yeah, and so this is where the story gets a little, uh, a little. I mean, it, it's life, right? Yeah. And uh, so, oh, I have to rewind a little bit to give context here. Um, I held a lot of resentment towards my parents, which you know, um, had to a lot of had to process a lot of my own. Um, wounding to get to that point um and once we reconnected i found out that my oldest brother had passed away and um, no way yeah and so i I found out that he passed away um uh like three months before my parents and i reconnected and so that was kind of yeah it, it kind of uh it hit me like a truck because i felt multitudes of things like i felt a lack of grieving, which then brought up guilt. And then, you know, part of me is like, well, I didn't have like a, you know, connection with them for over two decades. And so like, of course, like that's understandable. Um, and then I felt this like sense of regret, which is not something that I, you know, want mm-hmm. to embody all the time. But I did feel in that moment, a sense of regret of, I wish I got through this healing journey sooner so that I could have, connected with him hmm. on a real level on a deep level you know before before he passed away and so wow i'm sure there's yeah. like mixed emotions too where you're you're grieving like the loss of the person but then also the loss of like this opportunity to reconnect mm-hmm. right because if someone's we haven't reconciled or we haven't seen them for a long time and they're living in another place yeah it's like it's one thing but once once they're gone mm. then so is that opportunity to potentially like connect and yeah yeah it's like uh layers uh, yeah layers layers of grieving like um disconnection grieving the missed potential of Mm -hmm. love of bonding of you know and uh yeah it was it was quite a thing like i ended up having um so one thing we'll get into is (laughs) trauma release has been core to my healing journey and i actually had one uh, area of trauma that I was releasing. Um, and it took me to, uh, the time I spent in Montreal, um, which he was a part of. And, um, you know, like we didn't have the greatest relationship. Like he kind of bullied me and and didn't treat me the best. And so, um, 
you know, having to go back there and really live that mm-hmm. and like feel into that, remembering the resentment, you know, bordering on hatred at times um, towards him, feeling into the complexities of all those, um, you know, uncomfortable emotions. Mm-hmm. And then in that moment of like, and so like part of my trauma release is kind of like surrendering to the body in that moment. And so in this like state, like really grieving. And at a point I started saying like, I'm sorry out loud, like uh, multiple times. And then I, I was so in the moment, like so in that grieving process that I didn't, um, it didn't click to me that I was saying something out loud for a moment. And I was like, whoa, like what am I saying I'm sorry for? And you know, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not someone who thinks, uh, you know, met- metaphysical beliefs are a certain way. Like I'm very agnostic, I'm very open-minded um, at this point. <laughs> and, uh, and so with an open-mindedness, I was like, oh, wow, like was that, did I, it felt like I was connected to my brother on such a deep level that it was kind of like his words coming out of me because I didn't understand why, like what am I apologizing for in this moment? Right. And, um, and like, I don't know, you know, I'm not going to claim that that was him. Mm-hmm. It might be my interpretation, my shaping, my bias, whatever it may be. And I can honor that moment for what it was and truly, you know, feel into what I felt and feeling the love, like Mm. the unconditional love, the radical acceptance and compassion. And in that moment, there was a sense of like realization of like, oh man, like I think he took his own life Mm. and I didn't know the details of what happened. Like all I heard was it was a hiking accident. Um, and then, yeah, it was later confirmed. Um, I brought it up. I was like, hey, like, I, I felt into this. I'm not sure. Um, but did my brother take his own life? And, yeah. And so, yeah, a lot of, a lot of pain, a lot of, a yeah. lot of suffering. Um, and so I wish I could have, you know, I, I, I'll take that back. I don't wish I could have done anything. Um, but feeling into... Yeah, the desire to be in relationship with them, in connection, mm. and in a, a deep love, um, and to to be able to feel his suffering in a way to, you know, alleviate it from himself, like feeling that on a really deep level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. That's that's obviously yeah. very heavy, mm-hmm. and not uh, not something that just is everyday conversation so I just appreciate uh, the vulnerability and the openness and mm-hmm. I really think I love I love how you said you know w- whether it's you kind of like experiencing channeling whatever the word would be like the this these messages or this feeling from your brother I mean who's to say yes or no but regardless mm. it's like if you feel into that and it brings you to a place of recognition of Man, even if that's, even if that's coming from me, like that's an important message to sit with. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, whether we attribute it or ascribe it to your brother or in another circumstance, like a person that we've lost or lost connection with, Mm -hmm. I think there's a real power in, in experiencing and feeling, right? Because our feelings are real for sure, regardless of like what triggers them. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I, I just... I don't know, wherever, however that, that continues to unfold and sit with you, I, I think uh, we never know, but to say, to allow yourself permission to say, yeah, that was him. 
mm-hmm. like speaking speaking to me and through me, I think is something that's really important and mm-hmm. yeah, honors his story as well. Because yeah. we don't know, you could you totally. can never know. But to say maybe that was maybe that was one thing he was longing to say to you and even your other brother mm. and extended family, your parents, that mm-hmm. maybe he felt he didn't have the opportunity to. Mm-hmm. But then, who knows how all of this stuff works? And was able to come come and give you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think for me, I don't need to know what happened there. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not important, right? Like for me, I feel like moving through life without having to cling or, you know, attach to, and this is for me um, and my journey, but not having to cling to anything. And, you know, it, it is what it is. It was what it was. And, you know, I don't have to, I'm learning more and more that I don't have to place meaning onto it for it to be meaningful. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Cause it, <laughs> yeah. And I think we're so caught into, it has to, it has to have and carry significant meaning in order for it to be meaningful for us. Yeah. And right? I think there's a layer of like, um, and this is something I've uncovered in my meditation journey, but there's for me like a layer of control when you need to know, like, I need to know this. And there's like, you know, that like, I don't want to get too too crazy, but like the the like that white supremacist energy of control and oppression. Mm-hmm. It's like that's within me, and then like that's that's what's driving that energy that I have to know what happened. Yeah, and I'm not okay if I don't know because I need to control the situation and control the variables and the unknowns, and I need to know, you know, in in a way to like assuage any fear around the situation and. Instead, I can just open up to the wholeness of all of it, mm-hmm. open up to the uncertainty, the paradox, the nonsensical um, aspects of it and just hold it with all of the beautiful dynamic tension it creates and, yeah. and, and be okay with all of it. Yeah. yeah, there's no need to put a neat bow on everything. Mm-hmm. We can live with exactly as you said, we can live in, live in the tension. Live in the tension because that's annoying, and that's more real. Totally, that's way more real. Way more real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, everything that is truly, and this is coming from one of my um, beloved teachers, my 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 main teacher. She probably hates that I say that. <laughs> my main teacher, Rev. Angel Kilda Williams. Um, but yeah, like the the ultimate truths, like not our relative truths, but like the ultimate truths are all paradoxes. And so if I can't hold the entirety of the nonsensical parts and the parts that I can't fathom or understand with, you know, the limited brains that we have as human beings, you know, I can just, I can just tap into all of it and and rest in the unknowing with, with comfort. Yeah. When it is, it's, it's rest. Mm -hmm. When we can come to that place Mm -hmm. where we don't have to know. Yeah. And we can live in the tension and we can find, we can be okay with the unanswered questions or the mm. ambiguity or the mystery, the paradox. Mm. Then, yeah. then we can start to experience true and meaningful rest because mm-hmm. we can just let that stuff go. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's not easy. It's not easy. That's the journey. Oh, yeah. Daily. Practice. It's a practice. practice. Yeah. Yes. And yes. I think it's not something that you acquire. It's something that you're always in dynamic relationship with. It's mm-hmm. always continuously unfolding. So there's never a time where like 
you've gone there and like you're good and now you can rest on your laurels right it's just always this dynamic unfolding and i think that's the greatest lesson that um, rev angel has taught me is really shifting that like accomplishment mindset that i've always that was so ingrained in me that i was shaped by right and instead of that accomplishment, um, you know, and in meditation, that sounds like doing meditation, like checking that off your to-do right. list, like, oh, I got my meditation done today. I'm good. Yeah. Like I did my work. But it's like this continual unfolding and to live a truly mindful life. It's like, how do you breathe the insight, the places you can go in meditation? How do you breathe that into all of life, into every waking moment? And so that you're never, you know, in a relationship with time that's like regimented and like notched. It's like, you know, like when you're rock climbing, like notches instead of that, it's like this fluid dynamic unfolding that you're continually a part of. And so, you know, in your mind, you might think like, Oh, I've gotten to this place. Say, I'll say that in my first person pronoun, I'll get to a place where I'll be like, Oh, I've, I've achieved this. I've gotten here. And like, now I'm good. But it's like, no, like time didn't stop for you. The present moment is fluid and continually mm. unfolding in this moment, in this moment and in this one too. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it keeps going. Yeah. And so if you're, you can like rest in the comfort of your own, like mind, your imagination that like, that's not what, that's not what's happening but then you're disconnected to what is in that moment. There we go. Yeah. The two, oh, that's so good. It just make, it reminds me of, of something that I try to be aware of mm-hmm. often is that the two greatest thieves of life is the painful past and the anxious future. Oof, right? Like that. Yeah. Because we, we live there so much what happened, I can't believe I did that, said that, experienced that, or what is going to happen. I'm worried about it, stressing mm-hmm. about it, and then it, it steals from us being present with what's happening right now. Totally. Yeah. And those aren't real, right? Like exactly. The past is, I mean, the past really shows up in crazy ways, especially in the body. Like yeah. anyone who's tried like a deep embodied practice of yeah. like healing and tapping in, like there's some memories in there. Yeah. Yeah. Trauma and tension. And For sure. All, all sorts that. of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then, but like the, the thoughts around past, like they're just our memories, right? Like it's just like what's stored in the hard drive, but like it's not, and they might not even Real. be truths. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. like, yeah, I think psychology has figured out for a while now that like every time you revisit a memory, you mm-hmm. actually shift it a little. And so like if you're coming back to the same memory like a hundredth time, yeah. it's like how much has it been warped and yep. manipulated? Um, you know, not intentionally, but it just, it's just how, how it happens. Work. Yeah. And then the future hasn't happened. So it clearly doesn't exist. And so the there's this like, you know, meeting time where it is, where time just isn't. And again, like, you know, most of the things I'm going to be saying are, are the teachings that I received from Rev. Um, and so time just is in this present moment and that's it. And so like one thing that was a big part of my healing journey in the beginning was this thought around progress. But like, if you really think about progress, that is literally just a thought in your mind of the memory collection of all the times you did this particular thing and then tracking in your mind this like progress but really all there is is what are you doing in this moment like can you do that thing in this moment and return to it and come back to it and and so like with meditation for example like thinking about progress 
created a lot of separation from me and the point, well, I don't know if there's a point, but one of the points for me of meditation, um, I, I didn't see the, the, I didn't feel into the direct experience that meditation helps you connect with. And that direct experience is everything. Hmm. So yeah, letting go of like the stories of past and thoughts around the future and just like, what is in this moment true for me? Um, that was a really powerful shift in my journey. Mm-hmm. Well, I think when you talk about progress, so much of our kind of colonial capitalistic mm. mindset is like growth, progress, growth, progress. Yeah. Um, <laughs> up like into the achieve, right. Achieve. Up into the right. Yeah, yeah right. totally. Up like, into the right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just like you're going one direction. If you're not, you're, you're failing, mm. you know? Yeah. So like being here is like staying in one place, mm. you know, being present, being in the here and now is not growing. It's staying still. Mm. So mm-hmm. it's like kind of a rebellion against. Yeah where society wants you to be totally and i think that's that's the challenge of meditation especially when you first get into it um you're like sitting still and you notice how uncomfortable it is to sit still in silence and not produce anything like i think that's the number one thing for most people who are shaped by capitalism um like we come into it and we're like, oh my God, like this feels like I'm wasting time. Like I could be knocking off things off my to-do list or I could be getting my downtime in right now. And so there's this like severe discomfort in the body. Yes. And then your mind is a sense and meaning making machine and like irrational most of the time. And so the, the meaning making machine will throw like these wallpapers of stories and thoughts and being like, no, meditation's not for me. Like, or like meditations for people with anxiety or like, you know, and so you'll create all these stories of being like, oh no, like I'm not the type of person who needs to meditate. Like I work out, I do yoga, like all these things. And then, when you get underneath that and you start to actually meet the discomfort where it is and like not bypass it in any way or distract yourself, but like really come up against it and just feel it in all of its glory in your body and you stay still, like you don't move, you don't need to push it away, you don't need to embrace it either, but you just get closer and closer in direct experience to it And like one thing that helps me is like clarifying the sensation, like bringing up the saturation, the brightness and like really, really breathing into it, breathing life into it almost so that I can really feel what it is. And I promise you, nothing stays still like everything is impermanent. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And so it will shift. And I think when the shift happens, that's when you start to get a glimpse of what meditation, one of the things that meditation can do. Um, and the power of it. Mm. That's cool. You've talked, uh, mentioned a couple times, and I've heard a, a few other people talk about it, and I find it so fascinating. I'd love to hear your your take. Mm. Body memories. <laughs> can we can we go there? Can we unpack oh, yeah. some of like what what is that? And then maybe some examples, either from your own experience mm-hmm. or simply just like out there, because. It's, it's fascinating. And I, like, oh, I know yeah. I want to and need to learn more about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what, 
when we talk about that, what do you, what do you mean? And how, how, like guide, guide us through body mm. memories. Yeah. I got to give credit where credit's due. Um, the, Dr. Gabor Mate, I read his book when the body says no. And that really shifted. Cause I was like, I was so science evidence-based that like anything that went against like general consensus was something that I would dis- discard like, right. right away. And uh, I think a lot of the Dr. Gabor Mate's work um, initially, I think now it's becoming widespreadly accepted in the scientific community. But anytime there's new information, you know, there's a lot of people that feel threatened by that because it's like, oh, like, what does that say about my research? And it's like, I think <laughs> I get onto tangents. I think science is like this beautiful um, industry that if it could really rest in unknowing and know that at any point it could be anything they believe in could be falsified. Like that would open up so much more space for us to collectively learn more about everything. Yeah. Um, if they could just hold it a little more loosely. A little bit. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of right. like the intended goal originally with originally. science originally. was to like have hypothesis originally. and then, yes. you know, have, you know, study that hypothesis and then totally. have a conclusion. But then there could be another hypothesis that would like <laughs> challenge it. Um, but now we have, it's changed because science is now attached to corporations. Yes. <laughs> capitalism. Capitalism. <laughs> yeah. Shocker. All, all capitalism ruined something. Yeah, I, I totally. Think, uh, like originally, sci- science was like a license to be curious. Yeah, like look yeah. at Carl Sagan and his approach. Oh, yeah. so good. Right? You kind of like want to prove yourself wrong. Exactly. That, is like your continued learning. Exactly. And and you're collectively evolving your knowing. Your mm-hmm. yeah. And so I, I think um when it comes to science now, like if you think about it, like a lot of it's tough to live in societies. Like it's really expensive to live in societies. So think about like the people doing the research, the pressures they have, the not only financial pressures, but like career pressures. Oh yeah. And so like you put all of that into the mix and it starts to create rigidity and so you start losing that like openness that communal aspect and then you know the there's like competition between scientists like who's right who's wrong oh yeah and so and yeah and and there's also a lot of bad science out there as well (laughs) yeah and a lot of good science all of it right and so yeah i I think um what was the original question anyway (laughs) body memories right body memories and you were talking about um, (laughs) tangents here's the time machine we go back we go forward we come back to the present it's all good (laughs) science wasn't accepting at first this Gabor Mate's work yeah yeah and like Bessel van der Kolk um, yeah all these incredible doctors um, really seeing that there was like a missing variable in the understanding of the human condition Um, and so um, I also have to give a shout out to my naturopathic doctor, Dr. Jason Marr. I have to give a shout out to um, my reflexologist, Vaya. Like those were the people who opened my eyes that like I held trauma in my body. And then further than that, that everyone to some degree holds trauma in their body mm-hmm. and that these memories can be like locked up in the body And when you're in a place where your nervous system's like always activated, which is, you know, living in a big city, that's if Vancouver is a big city, (laughs) living in in an urban area, your nervous system's kind of always activated. There's always noise. And so 
it's not until you disconnect from that and go somewhere super quiet that like you can hear yourself and feel yourself. And so in that like cacophony of like, you know, hustle culture, busy culture, always like getting one thing done and moving right on to the next thing. It's like we bypass all of these things that are coming up in our bodies. And so it might come up as like, for me, it came up as anxiety, depression, uh, sore back, trouble sleeping, indigestion, like all of these symptoms that you're just like, oh, like there's something clearly wrong. And when I go to my physician, he's telling me there's nothing wrong with me. Like what are, like how could there be nothing wrong with me? Like yeah. I'm having a panic attack because they ran out of carrots at the grocery store. Like <laughs> you yeah. can't tell me yeah. there's nothing wrong. Yeah. And so like once I was able to um, begin my journey and, and this is another quote from Rev that's so good. Uh, when you become quiet enough to hear yourself and still enough to feel yourself, and so for me, that happened when I first went on meditation retreats to Inside LA. And then you start noticing like things in your felt experience and in your body. And it didn't come easy. Um, another big shout out, um, one of the biggest shout outs is to Hiroko Demichelis. Sure. Yeah, I know sure. you know. I'll, you'll have to meet her. Okay. She like founded like the first uh meditation studio with anita chung in in vancouver i think in canada it was the first one in canada like a meditation studio back in the day oh wow yeah and then um and then uh they have a uh 200 hour meditation teacher training program that i went through um and so it's through all of their you know guidance and this like you know when i get to a place where i hit my rock bottom which we didn't even get to in my story i know but i got we'll we'll go back yeah (laughs) we got to a place i got to a place where i really hit rock bottom and at that point it was like i don't care what i have to do like nothing matters to me anymore and so i'm willing to do whatever it takes to heal myself and i think it was that openness that i had that willingness um and like I was going to say courage, but it was more like desperation. It was like my last stand, my last like, yeah, my last fight. And um, I went into it and and started to feel these things coming up in my body. And then if I leaned into it a certain way, they would start to express themselves. Like it might, like, for example, if I'm sitting still in meditation and I, I might feel like my arm being uncomfortable. And if I just bring my attention awareness there and let it rest it starts to kind of unfold and move on its own. And so like, and there's this thing called the middle way in uh, Buddhism. And so if I can find the middle way where it's in between tensing and not tensing, so just like having the intention of tensing and like continually resting in the like lead up to it almost. And if I could find that tiny, tiny edge, which took me, you know, a year of practicing, I think, to really find on a consistent level, I found that there were these movements that would come out. And if I let myself go into these movements, they would, you know, potentially put me in a contorted position. And then I start to realize like, oh, that was the position I was in when I broke my arm. Or like another one was like, oh, that was one when I got into a car accident. And this is the one that, and they're not happening over days, like <laughs> over months. Yeah. But like literally finding all of these traumatic events and noticing that there was so much emotion, so much memory tied to them. And so if I could, you know, really, and and the meditation is the training, the practice to 
get to this point, but if I could get to a point where I could fully surrender my ego and release the need to know, release the need to um, analyze, critique, uh, calculate, anything like that, and I just surrender to my body in that moment, it will put me into a place where I can be, I can meet the contraction that was happening in my body at that time. And so if you want to put on like a biology level, it's like the electrical impulse of the nervous system gets trapped in a, in a severe traumatic experience. And in that trapping, there's like all of these memories that like, and, and again, this is how I feel into it. I don't know what's happening biologically, but it feels like my body, my mind and my nervous system are like, it's not safe to go there. Like that is, we almost died there. And so we can't go back there. And then it creates like all these movement compensations because all of a sudden I don't have a really strong mind-body connection to that part of my uh, body. And, and that creates, you know, a havoc of things. It creates tension, chronic tension. And we all know chronic tension is one of the biggest killers, right? Mm. And so, um, yeah, I, w- I would notice that there was a lot of these, like, things that were stuck. And one thing I noticed is that if I rested there, I could see fragments of memories, like, wash over me. And I remember the first time that I released a trauma, like, I would get lost in the thought. Like, the, I would see, like, for example, like, the... Uh, type of floor or like a painting on a wall like just these fragments and like remembering that like when I first saw them I was like I got so curious and needed to know like what these fragments were and it was aside from the point because like that's what was associated with that body memory and at the end of the day it's just like this like electrical energy in my system that just needs to be released and so learning to return 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 like yes, like, oh, great, like a painting flew by me (laughs) in my awareness. And in that moment, can I just simply return back? And so in that return, allowing the body to express what it needs to express, it's like this torrent of emotion and fear and all these things. And it sounds really unpleasant. And I promise you, like, after a while, it became so cathartic that it feels like delicious pain like I don't know how else to put it (laughs) it's kind of like going on a really good workout and your flow and you can feel the pain but it's like almost like a reward like it feels like a reward that's kind of the dynamic that like reframing that pain and fear into being like oh like we now have the capacity to hold this and I can hold this and heal my inner child and heal that wounding and know that it's all good and we can process it and let it go and like in that letting go, like there's just so much more levity and ease and and more connection to life. Like it's almost like a filter dissolves and all of a sudden you're closer to your perception of life than you've ever been before. And so, yeah, highly recommend it. Hmm. <laughs> body, that's that's body, incredible. The body memory trauma. Yeah. Can um can I rewind back just for some, <laughs> for some time travel again, and yeah. then we'll go, we'll go back to the mindfulness. Uh, just, just to give some context to your own history and we don't have to stay here for very long, but, uh, you went from the fashion world to the food world mm-hmm. and, um, you know, that I just want to like kind of brief hmm. over this for context. 
you kind of went from a hobbyist chef to like one of the most sought after chefs in Vancouver, working on films, working with celebrities. Um, you know, the food became an art, a craft. Mm. You were styling it in a way that was exciting, that was art, that was new. And, you know, you, the Juno Kim was like hype in Vancouver for, for food. And you kind of like, you know, Dala probably wouldn't admit this. You know, I was talking with Dean, like you gave way to other chefs to like, you know, like have their own moment and that turned into bigger things like for Dala opening up Super Baba. Like I think his first chef experience was, uh, I could be completely wrong, but was at 33 Acres from uh, one of your pop-ups. You know, you were moving on to other things or couldn't uh, couldn't be there. And that yeah. led to Dala having a pop-up, which led to Dala like, you know, having Super Baba, one of the, like the best, you know, the best. Voted the best new, not even voted, like chosen. Yes. To be, actually, I guess it's voted. Voted as best new restaurant of the year um, with By Vancouver Van- Magazine. Yeah. So yeah. The, the wave of Juno Kim food. I, is, I mean, uh, I got I to be clear to Dala. Like Dala is so talented and... Um, I just do that kind of like kind of passionate. I know Dala will get annoyed if I <laughs> give, give his credit to somebody else. <laughs> oh, that tickles me. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Dala's, Dala's, I mean, you and I both know how talented Dala yeah, is. And so he's the best. He would have made it no matter what. Of course. He didn't, I don't think he needed me in any way. And at the same time, um, it's just a fun fact that. It was when I was in Mexico yeah, and I just needed to. So I wasn't even like moving on from 33 acres. I was just in like on my first vacation, like a long time. time. And uh, I needed someone to cover. And I asked Dala, who I think, yeah, at the time he was just like posting to Instagram. And like, um, I think he had one pop up maybe before that. Or was that after? I don't know. Anyways, I asked Dala if he wanted to do it. He did it. It was a smash hit. Everyone loved his food. And uh and the rest is history, and now he has, you know, uh, an empire in the making. Yeah. Of delicious food. <laughs> but you guys both, credit to both of you, kind of changed a lot of the food scene, the pop-up scene. Like, you, um, yourself, and Dala, both kind of food pop-ups weren't really mm. happening prior to the two of you. And they yeah. became these, like, buzzy, buzzy events where there'd be, like, literally, like, no joke, 200 person lineups. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. And some of these pop ups. That was so crazy. And they were like the place to be. And it kind of blossomed into, like I mentioned, like working on pretty, pretty big films, working mm-hmm. with big celebrities. And eventually, um, you know, leading to your, your burnout and mm-hmm. um, to totally. kind of what you've described as your rock bottom. So I just wanted to like give context to that because mm-hmm. I think. Your, your mindfulness and your meditation journey, like I'm projecting here, but it <laughs> part of it, you know, was a, um, a result of kind of living that chef life and, you know, burning your candle at every possible end and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to be everything to, to everyone. Um, yeah, well said. So I, I just wanted to give that context because I, I think that kind of birthed, this this era of Juno Kim that uh, you know is is present is here is now mm. is kind of a student and a teacher of mindfulness and meditation. So we don't have to hang out in the, the, the food <laughs> era too long. I just wanted to like give the context to like what led you to to where you are uh, 
with it here and now basically yeah for sure i mean i think most of my life i one thing that characterized my life is that there wasn't there wasn't much um in terms of stability like i was never i think the longest i ever was at a school like one school well other than ubc i was there for a while (laughs) but uh (laughs) but before that like i moved so many times in my in my upbringing um and so i think when i started the food stuff like on a professional level it was actually just kind of like a culmination of what brought me there and so I think one big thing was that I became really disillusioned into my what I thought was my career in fashion Um, I remember studying psychology and um, you know reading books like like Fight Club where it's like you know I'm gonna mess up this quote and it's such a good quote but it's like we spend money that we don't have to buy things that we don't need to impress people we don't even like. And it's like, <laughs> it's so good. yeah, it's so good. And I think back then, like I was kind of caught up in that because I think like I think clothing, you know, this is something I realized in the last month with the help of rep in, in the in my high school life. I think clothing at a certain point brought me belonging mm-hmm. like it was mm-hmm. like you know, before my parents bought me clothes and I didn't belong. (laughs) And then all of a sudden I had a job and I bought my own clothes and all of a sudden I belonged. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, okay, so clothes, belonging, like clicked Mm -hmm. it together. And then that's how I got into fashion. And then I started studying uh, psychology, which is, I think, really the birth of where my deep interest in uh, not only meditation, but like consciousness, the mind, the mind-body connection, all of that, I think, came from my time studying psychology. And so um, going into it, like I felt like I failed a lot in my life. I felt like I, you know, wasn't making a lot of money. I wasn't successful. And and I think that was eating away at me. And then, um, you know, even at my time at Chrome Yellow, like I didn't feel like I was successful. And so um, I think there was a a part of me that was a little desperate to change my circumstance. And I think that's where the food came from. And, um, and so the pop-ups were actually an idea, you know, I'm not like a genius. Like it just came from the fashion industry and how many yeah. pop-ups they did. And so they would do like these pop-ups in other stores and this back in like, you know, before 2010, like, and there was a huge thing, like, especially in like New York, LA. And so seeing that and I'm like, Oh, like, you know, like, if I get a job at a restaurant, like anyone's just going to hire me as like a dishwasher. And like, I'm just love, like I'm in love with the food part. Like I'm in love with creating the food, sharing the food, like seeing people's um, connection to the thing that I made out of like these ingredients that weren't this plate when Mm. I started and now it's this plate. And so I I think I went in with, you know, that desire for love. And I was like, Oh, the only way I'm going to really do this is by doing pop-ups. And then, that's kind of how it started. Um, and then shout out to Luis Valdezin when they right. find us. Like he was actually the one who spurred it. Like he messaged me and he's like, hey, I got this group of creatives. Like you're not even going to get paid. Like I think they gave me like $200 for like, yeah. the food. Um, but it'll be a great opportunity and we'll get some sweet pictures. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm all about it. Let's do it. Let's, <laughs> Let's go. Because yeah. Instagram was kind of just happening. Oh, it was just about and, to blow up. And yeah. you're, you're, I remember your Instagram, like blew, once you started styling food with that Juno Kim flair, like, <laughs> you know, like your post just blew up and yeah. like having a Juno Kim pop up after this moment was kind of like a status thing in a way. Like, oh, you know, like weird. If, if, <laughs> if like juice truck had one or 33 acres, right, like it was right. like, 
they're a bit of a flex, you know, like right. like, like a branding, like thing. Juno's the coolest chef, and you know he's willing to collaborate with our brand, and you know people that's are really funny, you know, <laughs> just looking back, whether that was intentional or not, like that's kind of what it was what was happening at that time. Yeah, I don't know if much was intentional back then for yeah. me. I think I was literally <laughs> flying on the seat of my yeah. chair and just yeah. like well, in desperation. Oh, yeah. yeah Making sure. your own path though, right? Like not going the conventional route to totally. get in, like you said, be a dishwasher, be whatever, yeah, buzzer, sous chef. Yeah. yeah, but just say, no, I'm going to do it this way. And well, kind of I did have one job and I got to give a big shout out to Doug Steven and David Jackman. Yeah. Um, Doug Steven is the owner of... Um, Oh my god! Why am I DL Chicken? Yeah. <laughs> had, a, had a brain oh, fart is there. That a restaurant, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, is so that off brand? Is that off brand? So um, okay. We embrace all, all yeah. humans and animals alike on this podcast. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, and so he owned a restaurant called Merchant. Merchant's Oyster Bar That's on right. Commercial Drive. That's right. What a spot that was. There was just something magical about that yeah. spot during that time. Oh. And a lot of it had to do with Doug and, and the team that he brought together and the passion that he had and, you know, our collective um, desires. I mean, I say collective. I was part of the team for like three months. Um, but that was my one foray into a commercial kitchen. Um and yeah, a lot of a lot of love for for everyone who was there because um, they were so supportive. Like I was this person who bypassed all of the do that they put in. Yeah, and like I felt a lot of like guilt and uh, imposter syndrome around that. Like having bypassed all of that like hard work everyone else puts in, and all of a sudden like I'm in demand. I can get work. Like, and I mean at the beginning it wasn't. It looked like that, but it wasn't mm-hmm. like I was. In high, high demand. Instagram does a funny thing. Yeah, Instagram. (laughs) Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, and so, like, big shout-out to them, big shout-out to uh, Luis, and I think it was credit to Luis's photography. Like, I remember going from 700 followers to 2,000 followers in, like, and I was at 700 forever, like, two years, and then all of a sudden I hit, like, 2,000, and it was all because of Luis. A little bit for me, but mostly Luis. There we go. So... You know, from the outside perspective, you're like hitting stride. You're like, you know, collaborating with amazing people, creating amazing food. Mm -hmm. It's an art, it's a craft. But on the inside, you're burning out. You're dealing with anxiety, depression. Um, Let's kind of pick things up there. Yeah. And um, what that was like and how you pulled yourself out of that Mm -hmm. space into this chapter of, you know, interconnection. Mm-hmm. It's funny how central you are in this, in this story. Um, so the way that catering works and the seasons work, like December, leading up to December is crazy. Like everyone's having their holiday parties, like tons of productions, like film productions are working. And so working on sets and it, it's quite hectic. And, um, you know, like I said, like I, came into catering, into food, out of desperation. Like, it was like, I was not in the best place uh, when I got in um, with myself. And so, didn't have the things, the tools I needed to not only handle um, high-intensity work and stress and, like, 80-hour weeks, um, but also, like, I didn't have the things I needed to be able to handle the attention, the success, the 
perceived success because I think those are two different things. The mm, perceived quite. success I think was was maybe a bit higher than the the actual success um, at the beginning. And then I think I think what happened was this pattern started forming where you know I would start to get burnt out around like October. And then like November, December, I'm just like holding on for dear life, like, you know, in pain, <laughs> like anxiety is flaring up all the time and just like moving through it, like thinking that that was life and that I just had to grit my teeth and bear it, you know, and um, moving through that December comes, uh, you know, we'd have our last event, we'd all go out party and be like celebrating and then like and then all of a sudden January, February, March is like typically a, a lot slower relatively and so then going into those moments, um, feeling into like regeneration, recovery, um, by March, I'll be in a headspace where I'm like taking like my health, like somewhat seriously. And so, you know, weights fluctuating like crazy throughout this time. Right. And this is years of this over and over and every March, like showing up at the juice truck, <laughs> depending on the year, like which juice truck it was, yeah. it's different, but like always showing up to the juice truck, reconnecting with you, having good vibes, you know, being on a, um, drinking my juice, like on the regular, having smoothies and, and, um, treating my body better. Not, I wouldn't even say well, but better. Um, and then feeling a bit better and then the cycle continues over and over. And, um, it just got progressively worse year after year. And 2017 comes and it got bad. Like, I'm like, I didn't know these were panic attacks at the time because, like, I'm, it's not like I'm like hyperventilating, but I'm literally just standing there, like, oh my fucking God. And like, this happening like multiple times a day sometimes. And, um, and so, yeah, like, it got to a point where at the end of the December 2017 season, after the last event, I came home and usually, like, I go out, like, you know, visit my friends at restaurants, like have a good time. That night I came home and sat on my couch and just felt like empty mm. and dark and like, like not even, it, well, I don't even know like how to characterize the sensation. Like I can feel it right now. Like I can bring up the memory of that sensation and like, it's like em emptiness, but with like a lot of negativity because I think emptiness you can get to with, and it's like a, actually a quite blissful thing. Um, but this was like a dark emptiness. And I remember in that moment, like not knowing who I was anymore, not knowing why I did the things I was doing, like, why am I catering still? Like, and in that moment, like there was a moment where I was ready to walk away from everything. Just like, call it quits, like, I, I didn't have a plan, I didn't have an exit plan, so I was just like, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> and uh, I had the privilege at the time that I saved up a little bit, and so I was able to take a few months off, and, like, I was on a bit of a sabbatical. Didn't do much, like, I think I played video games a lot. <laughs> like, I, uh, yeah. Smoked a lot of weed. Yeah, um, yeah it wasn't pretty, and, uh, but it was just the space I needed from the, like, trauma of continual repetitive high stress like over and over and over and it just gave me enough space that I can breathe and then from there I was able to you know actually think about how I wanted to change things um, and so actually the the person who really first brought me out of that funk was Brandon Grassetti the owner of Pigeon and uh, and from 2.ca the new delivery app um, and Brandon 
just got me to go to the gym with him. That was it. And like, I remember I went to the gym so sore the next day, but you know, he would call me up and be like, Hey, let's go again. And I did. And eventually it became a bit of a habit. And at that time, like, I think it had been two or three years since like the workout previous. And so, um, going into that, um, that started to make me feel better. And so that was kind of the beginning of my healing journey. I would say, yeah, Brandon kind of marked the beginning of my healing journey, which yeah, shapeshifted a lot. Hmm. Well, sometimes action leads thought, right? Hmm. You need to yeah. put the action in and that sparks thought and, and, and change. And we just need to put that one foot forward or in your case, lift that one barbell <laughs> yeah, up, yeah, you know, yeah. like... So I got to do a squat. I think that was the first start thing. Start with the squat. Probably shouldn't have started yeah. with the squat. That's what I said. And, and that trajectory yeah. of action can, you know, shift things and change how we think and mm-hmm. allow new thoughts to come in that can get us out of our into a space depending mm-hmm. where we are. Um, so one thing you, you mentioned was like trading addictions. So... Um, can you talk about like going from like kind of that, that, uh, routine you had of, you know, burnout, December juice and wellness (laughs) in January, and then, you know, eventually trying to break that, Mm -hmm. that kind of course. Yeah. I didn't see it at the time. Um, you know, cause I was kind of treating the symptoms. Like I didn't know there was yeah. something underlying. I didn't know there was, you know, core, um, you know, essentially childhood things that needed to be worked through. Um, and so I think a lot of my early efforts were around, um, dealing with the symptoms. And so like I have indigestion. And so I started watching what I ate. Um, I started eating super healthy. I went vegan. Um, and then, <laughs> You can't see, but Zach's giving me a thumbs up. Right now. <laughs> the two thumbs up. <laughs> I think Zach's uh, Zach's li- one of Zach's life missions for a long time was to was to make me a vegan. Uh, yeah, starting in like what was that, 2015? Probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so no yeah, <laughs> we'll get we'll get into it. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so like I would be you know working out all the time. I would you know essentially like binging health and wellness mm-hmm. like that's what i was doing binging yeah. health and wellness yeah. and not understanding that the core issue had to do with that addictive personality to begin with mm-hmm. like and so there was definitely a sense of relief and growth that i that i experienced but a lot of that was just trading really unhealthy addictions that didn't serve me to healthy addictions that served me a bit more. Mm, mm-hmm. And so I thought that was it. Like I was like, Oh, I found it. Like this is it. And if I just keep working at it and just keep moving towards these, um, outcomes, right? Like all these mm. outcomes that I would heal myself. And so, yeah, that's kind of how it started. And then the deeper I got, the more, um, the more different people, I start to run into and some of them I've mentioned already earlier. Um, and so the deeper I got, I start to learn about, you know, the role of trauma, the role of, um, unprocessed childhood wounding that I think everyone has. Like, I, I can't imagine many people leaving childhood (laughs) without some sort of wounding. Mm -hmm. And so like really feeling into that aspect of it. And then, um, 
And then, yeah, Dr. Jason Marr actually kind of changed a lot. And it's funny that you mentioned what you mentioned about grounding earlier because that was one of his prescriptions to me. No way. And I was like, what? I was like, are you serious? <laughs> like, that's what you're telling me to do? I'm like, at least you told me to do something because uh, my physician was like, eat more no. veggies. I'm like, I'm vegan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, Dr. Jason Marr, he didn't just prescribe me that. He uh, got me onto a FODMAP diet. Um, I actually figured out through... Uh, our work together on my digestion that um, my digestion was more tied to um, my beliefs and my wounding and like the way I hold myself, the way I, I brace against discomfort in the body of like anxiety and all these things create these like patterns of contraction, which turns into chronic tension and then things can't flow. Like my fluids aren't flowing the way they're supposed to be. My organs aren't functioning optimally and so this is what's causing like my indigestion to happen. And then I had to actually stop being vegan for a bit because uh, I didn't have, and we did some genetic testing and I found out that I was missing the gene that breaks down lots of like plant-based foods really oh. well. And so what would happen is um, the, I would keep eating plant-based and I would keep getting really, <coughs> really bloated. And, uh, and constant bloating leads to like um, tons of issues. On, and it's not just physical, it's like mental health issues because mm -hmm. of the gut-brain uh, link, right? And mm -hmm. so, yeah, there was uh, some issues that I didn't see um, that he was able to show me. Um, and then he got me on, I was on some supplements at the time and we reworked those. Um, and essentially <coughs> it became clear to me that it was mostly a stress issue that then translated to like hormonal issues because cortisol Right. Mm -hmm. And so we did a test. I was in the 89th percentile for oxidative stress. No so like way. in the people tested, I'm like, there's only 11% of the people who've ever been tested with this were higher in oxidative stress than me. Wow. My cortisol levels, 94th percentile. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like mind blowing. Yeah. And actually I have to rewind a little bit because the reason I even took that stress test was because of this uh, product called Vision. And this Vision basically takes um, this, it takes this uh, technology that was made for diabetics to track when they should be taking insulin. So it's tracking their blood glucose levels. And they were able to take that technology and uh, turn it into one that was more so for well-being and for um, you know, managing your energy levels. And so I was, they, they chose me as their ambassador. And so I was able to, to wear this technology for a while. And they have an in-house doctor. And their doctor messaged them. And they didn't tell me this at the time, but messaged them. I was like, hey, I think Juno might have prediabetes. Oh, no way. Yeah. And uh, they were like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, that's not <laughs> that's, good. That's and so, yeah. And so they're like, and at that point, I think there were only maybe five or six people who had ever worn this. Um, this product um, and so they were kind of like they were unsure they didn't have many like sample sizes to figure out what was happening and then they're like they spoke to me about it and I I, I think I actually reached out because um, one of the metrics that I was using to gauge my um, health was uh, managing my blood glucose levels so they weren't spiking 
because um, I would frequently have energy crashes after a big meal. Yeah. And so figuring out all the ways to, to reduce that, like, you know, eating protein and fat at the beginning of the meal. So it helps slows down uh, digestion, going for walks before and after, like all these things. And so when this technology came on, I was like, oh. Like I can, I can see my, the fruits of my labor you're gonna get the data, yeah. and all of a sudden I'm looking at it, I'm like, Oh my God, my numbers are like, messed <laughs> yeah, up. what like, have I been doing? Yeah, yeah. Like this is not good. And I'm uh, like, Oh, like, and I knew like I, re- I, I'm a really big nerd. And so I researched into it, <laughs> I researched into it and, uh, figured out that, um, stress can really affect your blood glucose levels. And so I actually reached out to them. I was like, hey, I'm pretty sure this is like a stress thing. Like, I think I'm stressed. And so they said that to the doctor. The doctor's like, if that's stress, I've never seen anything like that. Wow. And so they were like, oh, like, oh, Juno has (laughs) prediabetes. And then uh, the timing of it was incredible because it was, I think I had one device on because you have to replace it every two weeks. And so I I have one device on, um, where the first half was during the end of my catering season and the second half was when I had like a whole week off um, during the holidays. And that whole week off, we looked at the numbers and they went to completely healthy numbers. And that was when I realized, and this was like 2019, and that's when I realized like, oh no, like, I thought the two years I put into my healing journey up to now, like yeah. was enough to like allow me to keep continuing on as a chef and like, no, <laughs> it clearly wasn't. Um, and so that combined with, um, another incredible teacher of mine who I have to give a really big, big shout out to Judy Brooks. Oh, um, Judy. Yeah. Judy. <laughs> Judy's our business coach. Oh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Judy was like, why are you still catering? Yeah. <laughs> like she, so blunt. She asked like, <laughs> The most straightforward, truest yeah. questions that you're like, oh, fuck. I was like, oh, uh, <laughs> I didn't even know how to answer it at the time. Yeah. But I think she planted that seed in my mind in October. And so when I start to see, you know, how I was, how the holiday season was unfolding. And then I got to the point where I started getting this data validating my suffering. Really, yeah. Right. And um, all of these like. Yeah, just like unease in my body being tracked on a graph. And like, it's insane to look at. Science backs how you're feeling the whole time. Totally. And like, there's no like covering it up. Like you can't fake it in any way. It's like, it's there. There's no hiding it, right? Yeah, exactly. Like it's, yeah, you can't skew it. Although uh, we started to figure out lately because I um, came back onto Wearing Vision uh, about a month ago and my meditation actually affects it, my blood sugar levels. So yeah, that was a really cool discovery. But anyways, that that was the reason why I stopped cooking. Um, it was kind of the confluence of, you know, my body, my mind, my identity being stuck in this past and me not being able to shed that and move forward. And then on top of that, like all this real data that I'm seeing that's confirming these tests that are confirming what I'm feeling. And on top of that, like Judy, like <laughs> when Judy says something, it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. She's so good at that. <laughs> yeah. So good. <laughs> so good. And so it kind of was that wake up call. And then that's where I uh, hung up my apron for good. Amazing. Yeah. 
All right. Well, here we are. Here we are. We made it, we made it back <laughs> oh. to the modern, the modern day Juno, the mindfulness, the meditation, the inviting in. Um, one thing you know, we always have these these nuggets pre-pod, and you were talking about radical compassion. Can mm. you can you talk about what that means to you? Mm. You have a I have a lengthy but but great story to express this. Um, so. You know, my parents were so loving and I have so much love for them. Um, and at the same time, like they were immigrants, they were struggling um, to make ends meet sometimes. Um, and, you know, being in a foreign country when you grew up in a country where everyone was like you. Right. And then all of a sudden you're in this new world. And, you know, I think they've probably encountered um, experiences that were you know racist and and mm -hmm. challenging in many on many levels and so you know they did the best they could um but i think there was a lot of parenting out of fear mm. and so there was a lot of control and a lot of you know oppression to be frank <laughs> um and a lot of like needing to be this ideal image that they created like mm -hmm. they created an ego for me and then like almost like chained me to it and then you know and I wasn't, I wasn't that, like, I wasn't going to be a doctor or a lawyer. Or, you know, I think at one point my dad put a statue of Abraham Lincoln in my bedroom. It's like, <laughs> you can be the president. And now I'm like, no, I can't. You have to be born in the USA to be a president. Um, but anyways, and so they had like high expectations, high hopes, a lot of love, but like definitely a lot of control. And, um, you know, from that, I think I got a little, a lot of like emotional abuse, um, and, uh, and I think that, that really like wounded me. Mm -hmm. hmm. And then what was the question? We <laughs> got lost in that. Radical compassion. Oh yeah. And so I held a lot of resentment towards my parents, um, especially in my twenties. Like I think I displaced a lot of blame that wasn't, you know, it was, there was no one to blame for the suffering that I had. It just happened. It just is what it was. And I needed to, in that, you know, that control energy, like I needed to place that blame on someone. Mm -hmm. And my parents were, were that um, target. And so there was a time, I think between like 2015 and like 20, maybe like 2016 to 2018, where we hadn't spoken. And like, they live half an hour east of Vancouver. Like I could visit them so easily. Yeah. Um, they would call me and I would never pick up the phone, you know, and there was just a lot of pain in, in my, uh, not only in my experience, but in my actions and inactions. And um, what happened was uh, I went on the retreat with Judy, the first one, and there was an exercise where we partnered up with people and then we tied this like red string bracelet. Did you do that too? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> so we had this like red string bracelet and I don't remember, there were like layers to it. And the only one that I remember in this moment is um, a piece around forgiveness. And so like we would tie in this like knot into this bracelet of like forgiving uh, people who we felt had wronged us. And so my parents were who I put in there because, you know, at that point, I had been studying Stoicism, Taoism, Buddhism, and like there was so much of me that was like ready to accept, um, ready to welcome them back into my life, ready to move on from that. 
but I was, I felt stuck. Like it was like my mind could say that. And my mind could even say like, Oh, like if I was in my dad's shoes, I wouldn't have done anything differently. Like those conditions is what created that dynamic. Yeah. And then, um, feeling into like this, disconnect between my mind and body I like held that bracelet for a while and then kept going on my healing journey got getting deeper into meditation and um, I spent some time at Insight LA and someone I came across there um, recommended and it was from a share that I had and they recommended me a book called Self-Compassion by Dr. Kristen Neff so I started to go through it reading through it and it's it's a powerful book like ah I recommend it for, for anyone and everyone. Um, and it, it's just so eye opening, so heartfelt. And as I got, as I started to get through it, I didn't get through the whole thing. I had this, um, guided psychedelic experience, which was core to my healing process. Cause I think my barriers, my walls that I had put up were so thick that like psychedelics really helped melt and thaw those out a bit so I could see past them. Um, and so during this one trip, like I started, it felt like it was edging towards a challenging trip, which, um, you know, I was starting to lean into it. And then I went, you know what, remember your training, remember, like open up, move towards it and lean into it. And the more I leaned into it, the more these like images of like these people that I hurt in my life, um, you know, I think as a wounded kid um, in a male body, I had a lot of toxic masculinity in my like late adolescence, early 20s. And so I had wounded a lot of people. Like I did a lot of things that hurt a lot of people on a deep level. And so I like went through all of those, like reliving those experiences. And in a moment, I was just like, oh, like I really, really need to reach out to these people and make it right. Mm. And then the voice came online <laughs> and the voice was like, no, like you have no idea where they're at. You have no idea like what would happen if you brought that back up. Like, and like, I'm, I'm on mushrooms, right? <laughs> like, I'm just like, this is all kind of like flowing through my mind. And I was just like, oh, like there was this like moment of insight where it was like, I can't do anything because that will affect these people. And I don't know whether that will be a positive or negative effect. And all I can do is acknowledge what I've done really feel it in my body to my core, the pain that I put onto these people and use that as a way to change so that I would never do that again. And every morning I can wake up and feel that not to dwell on it, but in a way to just inform how I want to make a positive impact in the world, not to make up for it, but it's like, I can feel the, the depth of pain that, that side of my being can produce. And so I just want to go to the far end of the extreme to make people feel good. And so there was this moment where I was like, oh, that's what they mean. But it all starts with the self. And it just clicked. And it was just like, oh, I, how can I forgive my parents if I can't even forgive myself? And so that was the first moment I had that, that inversion of attention and it like inverted back onto me. And it was like, oh, everything starts with the self. Mm. And it was interesting because um, in that moment, I felt this like rush of love and acceptance. Like, 
and it wasn't really directed at anyone specific. It was just like universal love, just like spreading outwardly, like, you know. And so um, I remember when uh, we finished our session, there was a moment where like I'm journaling and and we're kind of debriefing and um, coming back into the physical space. And I looked down at my bracelet and this bracelet was on me for, I don't know, maybe six months up to that point. And it had loosened on its own to the point where I could slip it off in the very moment that I was able to forgive my parents and myself and all of the people that wronged me. And, and it was such a crazy moment. Yeah. Where like, and at that point I was such a rational person. I was just like, okay, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> how does that happen? Like, how does that just slip off in that moment that I have that insight? And so, yeah, that, that was kind of the moment where it all connected. Like, I think it landed on me on a deep level that the hurt that people create, the harm that people perform comes from a place of hurt and mm. harm. And so, you know, that combined with a lot of like my Buddhist teachings and examining what free will even means and like getting into the nuances of free will really allows me to see like, oh, like just like privilege, like the things that made us who we are largely happened out of our control, right? Like we didn't get to pick who uh, were our parents. We didn't get to pick what genetics we've received. We didn't get to pick our school. We didn't get to pick the neighborhoods we grew up, the country. We didn't pick who was in power politically the time that we were existing. None of that was in our control. And all of that creates so much shaping and dictating our outcomes. And so like in this like hyper-individualistic society, it's so easy to get caught up in that all of our accomplishments and all of our failures are us. Like we did it or like I did it, I guess. Yes. <laughs> and, and when you, and when you like kind of zoom out and look at the whole thing, especially as I start to release traumas in my body and start to release intergenerational traumas in my body, starting to realize that, Oh my goodness, like all of the things that I've done were, uh, they were, created by the set of conditions that led to this point in time and so if i can fully accept the the entirety of that then it's so much easier to tap into universal and radical compassion no matter who it is what they've done what they believe in and i can see through that and see into their core being like who are you underneath all of that underneath yeah. all of the shaping that you've received and then therefore the outcomes that fell onto your, your lap, good or bad. Um, yeah. And so one person I, I love bringing up in this thought around universal radical compassion is Daryl Evans, who is a black man, a musician who has like over 200 KKK robes in his possession. And they're all robes of people that gave up their Ku Klux Klan membership after connecting with Daryl. And so you would think like Daryl's an activist, Daryl's gonna go out and like show people why their beliefs are wrong. And if you actually listen to interviews of what he did, like the first time it was like an accident, like he didn't mean to do this. He was performing at a jazz club, I believe, and a white person came up to him and was like, hey, like you play good music. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> I'm probably butchering this. Yeah. But 
um, it eventually got to a point where he was like, the, the white man couldn't believe that a black man was a kind and open, but also good at music. Mm. And it was just like all of his beliefs he started to feel into were incorrect. They were based on untruths. And in the, in that moment, like Daryl Evans didn't shame him. He actually, like, he actually, I think he says like, there was a moment where he kind of like wanted to react and be like, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) But then there was this moment of like, just connecting with this person on a deep human level. And in that space where you can see each other and not be already telling them that their beliefs are wrong and like why he's wrong. And in the place of just human connection and intimacy, they were able to connect on a level where he had his own insights. So Daryl never asked him to stop being in the KKK. It came naturally from just tapping into that core humanness. Mm. And I believe everyone, everyone, full stop, everyone has that innate goodness, that core. And I think our shaping in this modern day society, the context that we grew up in, maybe systematically, maybe (laughs) systematically disconnects us from that embodiment. Knowingly, knowing that if we were able to do that, we could all coexist and unite as a harmonious collective of human beings that just see each other past their preferences, past their clothing, their musical taste, what they eat, whether they drink natural wine or not natural, wine. <laughs> you know, like really seeing past all of that and just connecting on a deep mm-hmm. human level. And uh, I believe it was in your podcast, Diener, that you said, what was the, the term that you used? The God given value. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like our inherent. Yeah. Yeah. And and like, I feel so into that. Like, Mm. I think capitalism really puts us in a place where we value ourselves in a measure of productivity. And so can we look past that and actually just have value as human beings? And that's it. There we go. So good. It's like, yeah, I just love listening to everything you've been saying, you know, but it's like, uh, somewhere it's like beyond empathy mm, right yeah. where it's 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 moving us to an even deeper place of seeing as you said like seeing every every person not as like someone who who wronged me or someone who can help me or gate like give me something but rather really seeing the whole person and then all of the circumstances and situations around that person and around their time and their experiences that shaped them Mm-hmm. Right. And was part of creating who they were, whether they're like our parents, when we often look and want to place blame somewhere on someone for something that's happened or hasn't happened in our lives. But just saying like, no, it's be, it's so much, it's so much bigger than that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, Rev said this earlier today, actually. So it's fresh in my mind. Empathy is something it's a thought like it's like i'm thinking about empathy i'm thinking about being in your shoes whereas yeah. compassion's embodied is doing it in the body and i'm willing to feel your suffering in this moment with you and maybe i can't change it maybe i don't even want to change it in this moment mm. but that i can still not only see you and hear you but feel you in my body and and that being with Mm. And I think that is the the connection piece that takes you past empathy and its limits. And empathy 
has a lot of limits. Yeah. And so being able to cross that bridge towards compassion, I think, can help unite the division that we're seeing. Yeah, yeah. There's so much division. Oh, my goodness. So much othering. And, like, yeah, for me, it's like, how can I move through life where I'm kind of just, like, like tapping into people's nervous systems. Mm. Like if someone's like doing something wrong, they're like, or sorry, not something wrong. If they're doing something that I feel like is antagonistic towards me, most of the time their nervous system is activated. And my, before I would just match their nervous system and be like, mm -hmm. okay. And then I would like confront them. I would be, you know, I would try to bring fairness into the equation because that's something that's like really prevalent in my upbringing. And um, one thing I noticed was that that actually just makes it worse. Mm -hmm. Like it just makes them double down on their beliefs. It makes them contract. It makes them more intense, more activated. And so now it's like, oh, like, can I, can I be the space for the world in which like, oh, I see that your nervous system's activated in this moment. And we all know that. Like we all know what it feels like to be triggered and do something, say something that you didn't mean, but you just, it felt so right in that moment because you're so lost in that that enraptured state right mm. and so for me it's like i want to look past that and even if you are trying i mean if someone's trying to harm me i'll probably just <laughs> remove myself from the <laughs> yeah. situation yeah yeah um and sometimes if someone says something this might be a better example if someone says something that i think is harmful to society like he, they express a belief that i'm like oh that's like harmful in that moment, instead of getting activated and arguing, can I soften my nervous system and be, begin to create the conditions where we are for both of us to soften our nervous systems and then connect in a place where we, where we both feel spacious? And like we said earlier about like holding paradox, when you have a belief and you're trying to try on a new belief, there's like that's paradoxical, right? They're two conflicting beliefs. And you can only do that in a calm mm. state when yeah. your nervous system's not activated, you're not contracting, you're feeling expansive, you're feeling into potential, new possibilities, and you feel spacious. Like after a yoga class, well, for some people, after a yoga class, like you feel that spaciousness, right? And like, can I learn? to become so adept and agile in my nervous system control, you know, through meditation, through practices, so that in that moment of activation, I can recognize, oh, I'm being activated right now. And can I soften and give myself space? And in that, it creates space for others. And so I truly believe like from that and from um, Rev's teachings, which really clicked for me, because I think it differs from most Buddhist teachings. They're a, they're a, Zen priest. And so um, their teaching focuses on returning to yourself, the embodiment of yourself and the self that's true to yourself, like underneath the shaping, underneath the racialization, the gendering, the sexualizing, like underneath all of that. And the only way that I found to do that is through, and I'm sure there's probably other ways, but one way that I found is through meditation by being quiet enough so that you can hear yourself, again, Rev's words, mm -hmm. and still enough to hear yourself, then all of a sudden you can see what's not always there, what falls away if I actually just rest my attention on it, and then what lies there. And, you know, after 
doing this for many years now, like you start to feel like, oh, like that's what it feels like to be centered in my truth and not have some shaping or some experience that I had when I was six years old coming in and like twisting my my truth in a way that doesn't serve me or others. And so that constant returning to myself. And so in that moment when I'm activated, can I return? And in that return, soften my whole being so that I can create the conditions necessary for them to feel into new possibilities. Yeah. And without, a, without um, an agenda. Like, yeah. You know, it's like everyone's living their truth. And like, can I just be the space for it? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so good. I mean, like the, the, the catch of it is exactly what you said at the end there. There's no agenda. It's like we want to be able to live in those spaces. And I think a lot of people can envision themselves saying, oh, yeah, like I can, you know, recognize when I'm triggered or my nervous system is activated and I, I'm able to regulate down. Mm. But then we become so attached to the outcome of like, so now the other person should do the same thing. Exactly. That, I fell into that. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And we can't, we can't, yeah. we can't control what someone else is going to do, even if we like try to bring the energy down and bring ourselves down. Yeah. And then that's the next trigger is like, well, what the hell? Like, how come you're not regulating? Like, I'm reg- <laughs> And then you're like out of, yeah. right? And that's still ego talk, right? Yeah, like, course. I'm doing this. Why aren't you? Like, yeah. it's just about I, I, I. Yeah. And so it's like, can you let it all go? Live in that tension. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's good. Yeah. That's, and that's the practice because it's going to happen all the time Mm -hmm. with parents, partners, kids, coworkers, Mm -hmm. friends, people on the internet. Oh, Oh, they're the worst. Just kidding. kidding. (laughs) If only they could, if only they could learn how to regulate more other. Yeah. Right. It's crazy. And I mean, we need, we need this kind of conversation. I think this kind of, teaching right that you're sharing and, and obviously that you're you're picking up um is so important we we need it more and more and in some ways like it's so important mm-hmm. this is kind of stuff that we need to be like teaching kids in school because yeah. this is a life skill that will make people's not not lives easier because mm-hmm. it's challenging to do but it will spare a lot of pain mm-hmm. and hardship from people who are wondering why they're constantly in conflict or in states of, you know, fight and flight. Yeah. Right. And, this and freeze. That's the yes. third one that affects a lot of people. I, I tend to go towards freeze. Right. Like I hold my breath. Yeah. In moments of trauma, tension, contraction. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, these are, these are skills that we need to talk about and to teach and to share and to practice and to practice and to practice ourselves. Yeah. Right. I think that's the key word practice. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, all, all my teachings are reps teachings. I mean, yeah. they're not teachings. They're just my learnings that I'm, I'm expressing. Mm-hmm. Um, but a practice and a hobby, the way they're different is like a hobby is something you do when you want to do it. A practice is something you do even when you don't. Yeah. And so in those moments that you're feeling contracted, like that was my big thing. It was like, oh yeah, like, you know, coming off a psychedelic journey or coming off of a meditation retreat. I have like all these insights and I'm like, oh yeah, like I've changed, like I can feel it. And then the moment you like, you know, have a difficult conversation with your parents, the moment that you get uh, stuck in like traffic and someone like cuts you off really bad to the point where you almost like crash, like, you know, like whatever it is that triggers you, yeah. like all of a sudden you go into what you know and you go into those old habit patterns 
And then the tendency, I think, at the beginning of my journey was for me to be discouraged by that and be like, oh, man, like, that's not like I'm not anywhere where I thought I was. And so then the progress story comes online and it's like, oh, like, what does this mean? And like, you know, there's yeah. just so much thought and suffering. And like to cut away all of that, I just like now it's just like return to the embodiment, return to my truth. My, yeah. The, what is it that's like unique about the sensation in my being when I'm centered, aligned, grounded, connected and open and expansive? And then just coming back to that and, you know, it, I would have, I wouldn't, I didn't, I had a hard time believing people when they would talk about this. Cause I was like, how would you like, how going to that place? Like, how do you get anything done? Like what, how, what do you mean? Like, that's where everything comes from. Like, even like what Jesus said, right? God is within you. Yeah. And it's like, like, what are they talking about? And yeah. then you go there and you're like, Oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is this is this a is thing. <laughs> like yeah. and I can return to it and whenever I'm there it's like I'm tapping into almost like no self. It's like I have all these selves and like I can hold them all in like my wholeness. And at the same time, once I go into that place of emptiness, I can let all of those selves, all of those identities, all of the shaping and all of that just melt away and all there is is like my truth and i mean i say my truth and like that doesn't what does that mean like yeah, yeah. I, I just don't have a word to put onto that but it's like the my core being yeah like your, your essence or yeah. whatever yeah yeah and yeah. like you can go there like yeah. it's like a thing and it's like oh like people do that regularly like what a trip yeah <laughs> oh. yes, that's awesome <laughs> the biggest psychedelic is just going inward and learning oh yeah who we are and totally I mean, isn't it trippy that like you could go on a on a deep meditation journey and take or take psychedelics and it pretty much takes you to very similar places, like not yeah. the same, obviously, mm -hmm, for sure. um, but very similar. And I'd say the difference is that psychedelics kind of just shows you like, oh, yes. like that's there. It's like, holy shit. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not who I thought I was. And then meditation is the practice to get there reliably yes because like mm. the the psychedelic trip is like unearned wisdom it's just like wisdom that you saw once like at the mall <laughs> you Show, know shows you it's possible yeah it shows you like where you could go like how time can slow down like crazy and then and then like the meditation practice is where you start to embody that into your everyday life and so you know as psychedelics as the interest in psychedelics and as the science in psychedelics grows for its abilities to um, completely revolutionized therapy, right? Like to really help people in a massive way that's unprecedented. With that, I highly encourage a spiritual practice. And I mean spiritual in the sense that there's a connection to self on a deep level and that the spiritual journey is really the one that truly allows you to live those insights and live in those places where, um, yeah, that you feel free. Like, that's the biggest thing for me is that I think it happened for me like three to six months ago where like I finally feel free. Like I don't feel like <laughs> there's this thing inside my head where it's like I have to do this, I have to be that. Like the biggest one's like, you know the guilt you feel after a day where you're not productive? Like what's that about? Yeah. Like who put that there? Yeah. Why yeah, is that, that there? I'm like I didn't answer one email today. Yeah. 
now I need to like punish myself and stay up till 1 a.m. Oh, yeah. answering totally. those emails because I didn't get to it today. Totally. Or the, the reverse where you're like having a really shitty day and like yeah. things are falling apart around you, but then you put in 12 hours of work and then you can sleep at night. Like where did I know. that yeah. come from and who is that serving? Is that serving me? Definitely not. And like, is that bringing up contraction in my body that then becomes tension that then becomes anxiety, depression, indigestion? Yeah. Like, all yeah, of that, all of that dis-ease that we carry that oh, turns yeah. into disease, right? Totally. Yeah. Totally. One question I wanted to ask you, I got a few more and then maybe we can do a little rapid fire and maybe it's we can, got heavy. We, can uh, yeah. we can close out. Hey, that's where, you know, healing happens. Um, <laughs> And then maybe we can do a little meditation for those listening. Oh, yeah, I would love that. But I just wanted to, when we were pre-potting, um, you were talking about how embodiment is a portal into uh, the felt sensory experience and, mm. and how, how do you embody mindfulness. Um, so my question is, can you define, we've been talking about it for a while, but just, just for, for people to have language, um, can you define embodiment mm. and can you talk about how one embodies mindfulness? Mm. Yeah, great question. For me, embodiment is becoming aware, or maybe this is a better way to put it, allowing the attention awareness that we all carry, right? And you can be, you can have attention without the awareness. And when you do have both, allowing that to rest in the body. Um, I was going to say by default, but it doesn't even have to be by default. Like it's just like in that moment of embodiment, your attention awareness is in the body. And I think for a lot of people who like, I think most people, because we don't get taught, you know, trauma releasing techniques, like at a young age, I think many of us have parts of our bodies that are stuck in the past. And like, like you said, the body mm -hmm. memories, right? Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of people, including myself, when I first started meditating, my body wasn't a safe place to be. <laughs> like I could not let my attention awareness rest in my body. Hmm. And so I had to do some, you know, healing and some um, work to make that, to reconnect to my body as a sanctuary. That's a gene of breed loves um, way of calling it. And uh, they're an incredible sound healer. And so the body can serve truly as a sanctuary, uh, a place where we can go to not only be so much more connected to everything around us, um, including ourselves and others, but a place that's free of the, you know, the tricks that the mind can play, the biases, the suffering, the thought loops, all of that. And so like, embodiment for me really means like landing in our body fully with direct experience and so I think there's like a layer of knowing um, where language is and I think there's a layer of knowing underneath language the knowing that precedes language like when we were in the womb before we were able to speak words that's how we knew things like mm. that's how we felt mm. And so re-inspiring, you know, like through inner child work and through meditation, like reconnecting that knowing where, you know, you can see a building and like you're not seeing like the concept of building in your mind, which is like typically what happens, um, at least for me, before I started these practices. 
and instead just see things as they are in that moment underneath. And so for me, embodiment is like getting underneath, having to qualify or quantify anything and truly being in the flow of your sensory felt experience as it shifts moment to moment. And it's never exactly the same like moment to moment and it just slowly shifts. And so being able to not only not be distracted when it starts to shift and then maybe like a thought comes up or like a memory comes up and just returning back over and over and then coming, establishing your presence and connection to experience from that place of embodiment instead of from, you know, the rehearsing of your mind or like this image that you played through of like how you thought this was going to go and like letting go of all of that and just like what is here in this moment. Hmm. Yeah. And so mindfulness is kind of like, for me, the way I define it, because I think there's so many definitions nowadays. Um, but for me, it's to be able to flow in that moment to moment unfolding of the present moment, you know, which is continual and boundless. And um, it's not discrete. It's not in chunks. It's a free flow. And so being able to really flow with that, without judgment, without you know, and, and I think for me, you can get caught, like something might come up and you're like, Oh, that thing. And in that moment, can you return and just come back to it? And like having that like practice of just continually coming back to the free flow of time in this moment, the time that just is. <laughs> so good. Here we go. Do you have any more questions or should we do a lightning round. Let's, uh, it feels like, yeah, lightning round. <laughs> it feels like the wrong thing to call it, but it's like, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, let's the mindful do round. Let's do the mindful lightning round, the present moment round. Okay. The round of intention. Yeah, yeah. No, let's do it. I have let's. some intentional questions for this intentional round. Let's, let's <laughs> do surprise. it. Well, first off, thank you, Juno. Mm -hmm. Oh, my absolute pleasure. It's just such a nice time to be with you again. It's been a, a while since we've been able to actually sit down and talk together, you and I. So it's been good. And then meeting you, Dean. Yeah. Likewise, it's been, it's been awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's our whole kind of selfish uh, reason for having the podcast is just <laughs> to connect deeply with, you know, people we admire and, Amazing. and uh, get to sit and listen. I might start one and like, get like fake mics and not even be recording. Just yeah. Like invite you over and like, Hey, we're going to podcast. You know, that'd be a kind of a cool art piece in a way. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's totally. true presence. Yeah. Totally. It's, you know, not allow it to, to exist <laughs> only in the here and now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe that becomes a thing. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> the conversation. There conversation. was, there was a deep lesson, uh, in one, one podcast we did over zoom where after it ended, well, there was some touch and go moments of like, did it, did it record or did it not? <laughs> and it was very stressful. It was a lesson to be like, wow, okay, you're doing, obviously you're doing this with intention to mm. share it and for other people. But to be like, you know, we talked a lot about <laughs> impermanence mm. on that podcast. And then to sit, to sit there and be like, oh my God, this thing might not even be there. And then I was like, this is a lesson in, in, in impermanence, right? And just like that, it, we're so fortunate to be able to have space like this mm. and do these conversations and then the recording and sharing is like 
such a beautiful addition mm. to the in-person actual thing. So sure. it's, but it is, it, it's so, it's so cool to be able to share it. And like, that's why we want to do it. But it was such a, it was a good lesson to be like, even if it's lost, the moment is not lost. For sure. It still happens. Happen. <laughs> the ripple of that wave is still in motion. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Intention round. Intention round. Let's okay. Go we're going to, I'm going to go more intentional with this round. <laughs> okay. This one's an intentional one. Because I think this is something that science has yet to clearly define. That's been debated, um, but there's lots of theory, and you know, okay, I'll just put it out there and see what you think. What is consciousness? Oh, <laughs> going deep. deep intentional oh. round of intention. Here we go. You know, I rest in a lot of unknowing with what consciousness is. Um, you know, I feel like I feel like our examination of consciousness comes from a very um, one-sided perspective, mm-hmm. right? Like when when I try to see an issue for what it is, I try to get different perspectives. But you know, we can't really talk to animals yet, maybe ever. We can't need to up your mushroom dosage. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, totally. Um, Maybe like, you know, and and not that we can't communicate with animals and plants on a deep level. And I think that informs my personal views of consciousness. Um, And at the same time, we only have our first person experience. We, we don't have a reliable source to um, speak with the dead, um, at least on a scientific level level in the context of science um and yeah and so i I rest in a lot of unknowing and feeling into some of the experiences i've had i'm agnostic to consciousness as we know it in human form and this definitely will sound woo woo but consciousness is like in human form it's like consciousness trying to know the universe trying to know itself. And so, you know, we separate from this oneness of consciousness and then we come into these bodies that are temporary and temporal in time. And and then we're kind of, you know, going through all these first-person experiences that range so radically from one another. And, you know, I I feel like, and this, you know, (laughs) this is something that came from, like, Um, meditation and psychedelics the combination of the two where I feel into that there is a like this oneness and I can't put it into words like it's really difficult to communicate this which it makes it sound so ridiculous Um, and like there's a feeling that like at the end of the day all of consciousness is connected in a certain way and yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that. That's kind of Con- where consciousness like, is connection. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like that's kind of where I'm like where my suspicions lay. <laughs> yeah, and resting in unknowing and open mindedness. Um, but I'm starting to believe less and less for the first time in my life that this is it. Like it's just like you know you pop into one body and you go back into the dirt, and that's the beginning and end of your your consciousness, and that's it. Like there's just so many. There's so many like explorations of the mind you can do that just puts that that specific idea that it's just like this life and that's it there's just so many experiences that really 
put a lot of question into that for me. Um, and at the same time, there's no way I'll know. Yeah. At least in this body. Yeah. Yes, it's true. I think that's the gift of it. Like everything in us, well, maybe not for everyone, but many of us experience there has to be, like there has to be something more and beyond, mm. but we, we have nothing concrete to say for sure. Totally. And so to me, it just brings back, as we've been talking through this whole conversation, it brings back all of the emphasis to this present moment because mm. truly when, when the rubber hits the road, it's like, it's all we know for sure totally. is that we have this. I mean, even if it's not just this, even let's say, you know, Buddhist reincarnation or the afterlife, according to Christianity, like right. no matter what belief you have, or maybe you have some other one. Um, and that's totally cool. And like, whatever it is, this is the only time we'll experience this. this. And so like, even if there is an infinite chain of lives, like yeah. being here now in this body, in this time, like, Oh yeah, there's nothing like it. There's something magical about, you can say, you can say this sentence at any moment in your life. And it is the truest thing. It's like this moment and it will never happen again just like this. Totally. Even if we sat down here tomorrow, same clothes, same situation. Like, yeah. it, you, you can never replicate this. Yes. And so it is so beautiful and such a gift. Like, it just lights me up to think, like, if this is all it is, like, that's enough for me. 100%. But, like, what if, mm. right? <laughs> like, how cool would it be to wonder? Anyway, we're getting away from the intention. Yeah. The lightning <laughs> intention <laughs> round. This is the, <laughs> the slow lightning round. But wait, I do want to say one thing that I really, really loved and appreciated about what you said. is like that in that we are in many ways, like, and I'm paraphrasing you incorrectly already, but the, <laughs> the universe trying to know itself. Mm. Oof, that was good. That yeah, one was I, good. I really the universe trying to know itself. I really feel that. Yeah. And, and I think that ties back to universal compassion. Like as I work through myself and my traumas, it connects me to everyone. Like I can, I literally see people differently. Like, yeah. and it's not like a skill I acquired. It was literally an unlearning of my shaping of, you know, all the experiences and books I read in the past and like letting that fall away and then unlearning that. And now when I show up, I see people differently. Mm -hmm. Like I see, I don't see, like obviously I do see your clothes, your appearance. And at the same time, I can see so much deeper than that. Like mm. I see everyone as truly equal. And I think like, how is it that as you work through your own personal traumas and some maybe, maybe, maybe some intergenerational ones. Um, as you work through the traumas that you've acquired in this body, how is it that I automatically get connected on such a deep level to everyone around me, no matter race, education, class, no matter what yeah. form of oppression or marginalization you want to create? Like I can see past that and just see you as a human being. Yeah. There's something so beautiful about the the uniqueness of each individual and how hyper different we all are mm. on one level mm -hmm. and that when you go into your personal story mm. and your personal trauma and experiences that is unique to you that when we go into those things it's like that's the portal by which we recognize how the same and how equal we all are mm -hmm. right we all have these crazy different stories and experiences and when we sit with them and go into them it's like oh we're all actually like the same we're mm -hmm. fundamentally and connected totally like that's so cool that our 
our unique stories bring us together. Well said. Well said. What is one intentional book that you... This is one of our go-to usual questions just because we collect other people's inspiration <laughs> as a source for our own inspiration. I love it. So uh, what is a book that you have gifted others in the past, a go-to gift, or a, just a book that has you know, transformed you in a significant way that you think others would benefit from? And I'd I love say, to share a few if that's okay yeah, with yeah. you, Zach. A book can be... A series of books slash books. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there are a few that were really big for me. Like, and I say this to, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, like I feel like I'm stuck in these like paradigms, these sets of beliefs that they're not serving me and like there's no way out. Like, I think there's a layer of embodiment that needs to be explored. There needs to be a layer of like concepts that needs to be explored. And a layer of love as as cheesy as that sounds especially you know people in male bodies like I think I've ran away from that for my whole life I'm like what is that cheesiness mm. um, but like those three things are so important I think in the in a like a exploration journey of self and so uh, Yuval Noah Harari oh sapiens genius yeah. genius and I mean that comes from he's a Vipassana Buddhist and yes. so that comes from like what does the world look like if you shed the concepts, the ideas, the thoughts, and just see things as they are? And like, oh, that that book really helped melt some of the walls I created, this like fortress of paradigms that didn't serve me. Um, Breath by James Nestor, life-changing. I don't know like how much it changed you. It literally changed the way I sleep, the way I walk, the way I chew, the way I breathe. And like, it's the book that like I bring up and they're like, breath, like what, what's important about the breath? And it's like, that is the problem. Let that, me tell you yeah. <laughs> like, everything. Oh, it's insane. That, that book, book is amazing. Yeah. That book radically changed my life. And, and one note that I'll put is like, there's a reason why most deep embodied spiritual practices, whether that's meditation or yoga or Tai Chi, Qigong, like all of these things, there's a reason why there's such a strong emphasis on breath. And I believe, I truly believe the world would be such a better place if everyone could tap into A, an optimal breathing pattern, and they're able to use the breath as a portal, as a gateway into that embodiment of self. Um, Self-Compassion is the other book by Dr. Kristen Neff, like that really helped me build the universal compassion piece. Um, and then uh, cons- the, oh, I'm forgetting the book. Judy's book, Consider. Oh, uh, God, I just I just got it delivered the other day. Yeah, I have it in my living room. I read it every day and I just, I'm so sorry, Judy. <laughs> it's okay. I love you and the book is so impactful. It's so beautiful. And um, there's so many beautiful considerations in it. So many beautiful stories of, people's transformations and evolutions and it's it's truly um a thought-provoking book that that is i think uh should be on everyone's um, reading list and then one more yes rev angel kyoto williams who is my my dearest dearest teacher um I mean they have a lot of books and they're all good but in particular i feel like a lot of people could get 
a lot out of um, their newest audiobook. It's only an audiobook format called Belonging. It's like, I, 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 I go through that, I go through the practices in there, and I truly believe that belonging is like one of those missing key pieces that keeps us from understanding like why we are the way we are. And, you know, belonging is such a fundamental human need. And when we were in tribal communities in our evolution, like not belonging meant death. And so, you know, going through life with this fear of death, which can just be sparked by not belonging, not having a sense of belonging, mm. like that is huge. Um, and then Radical Dharma is another book of theirs. Um, shout out to uh, Rev and Radical Dharma Camp. Um, Radical Dharma Camp is like a retreat where you really, you learn a framework, you learn, develop, and begin to embody a framework for liberation. And, and I define liberation as just living free lives, like shedding the, the shaping that we've received so we can just live to our truth. And, and yeah, and so Radical Dharma Camp, um, I think next year we'll be at Hollyhock on Cortez Island. So that will be one that Vancouverites will have access to. Um, and so, yeah, they also have a book called Ra Radical Dharma, and uh, it's unreal. Amazing. Like, really, really unreal. Dr. Sai and uh, Lamar Rod Owens, and it's basically three, um, three black people from different uh, walks of life kind of commenting on their thoughts on um, what it's going to take for us to evolve out of this division and, and truly liberate all beings, mm. like, full stop, all beings, no condition no all beings and uh and it also goes deep into their um first person experience around racism and white supremacy culture and Whoa. it's yeah i mean if 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 social good is like something that's important like i think this is one of those seminal books that just really frames that energy of like wanting to make the world a better place in a way that is so functional, sustainable, and uh, impactful. Very cool. Well, that's a good intentional reading list. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, not lightning, but maybe intentional. Yeah, 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 I like it. Uh, Dina, you want to close us out? And then if uh, people are so inclined, um, we'll have a little, little meditation by Juno Kim. Yeah. Post-pod to close things out. Let's do mm. it. Okay, last question. We ask it to all our guests. Mm. And uh, Zach and I named the podcast a little more good because mm. it's our intention of creating that and doing that in the world around us, in our lives, in our communities. We always love to know from our guests, what does a little more good mean to you? Mm. Oh, that's a good one. Let me let that land for a bit. I think a little more good for me just means showing up in a way that not only honors and serves you, um, but everyone around you. And so, you know, that a little more good, like that doesn't have to be something radical all the time, but just even showing up in a way where someone feels better, you know, after having connected with you and they leave. You know, I think the biggest thing for me is like a little more good for me is like, can I allow you to feel like really feel something 
and that's something might be positive, like pleasant sensations, or it might be something that came up that's a little uncomfortable, but that would, you know, pull you in a way to, to meet yourself and to reconnect to that deeper knowing, that deeper part of yourself. And so that's what a little more good, that's what came up when I thought about a little more good. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Juno. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, so good. I'm excited for this journey that you're on and I'm excited to continue to follow mm-hmm. as, uh, you know, you tune in. Yeah. Tune into self and put those waves out to the world. Mm. Thank you. And I just have to give you a shout out because, you know, I was reflecting the other day about how Hiro, when I was in the depth of my cooking career, I felt like I was trapped. I felt I was, you know, people didn't see me for me. They just saw me for my brand. They saw me for my identity as a chef. What I, you know, they saw me as the food. They saw me as my social media following like they didn't see me as a person and I didn't even realize that that was happening and that that's something that I needed (laughs) until I ran into Hiro and Hiro like really saw me for who I was like underneath all that and I think that was what a little more good was for me like that was what triggered like oh and I think that planted a seed that then blossomed and you know and I just want, I brought, I bring that up because I feel like out of all of the people in my life, um, you're one of those people that I can reflect back on. And you've seen me through so many stages of my life, like <laughs> our come up, our, you know, well, my, my peak as a chef, like, yeah. and you saw me in my downfall, you saw me like in all those moments. And like, you have this like unconditional love and like acceptance and I can feel that from you. And so I just want to shout that out and and give you some love and gratitude. Thanks, Juno. I appreciate that. I see you. (laughs) I see you, you, dude. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Juno. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, Juno. All right, we're back. Round two Mm. with Juno Kim. We just did some post-pod jamming, and we're definitely going to have another podcast self-discipline is a myth stay tuned for round two <laughs> yes yes so you'll have to wait for that one um but we want cliffhangers. cliffhangers cliffhangers the sequel is coming that's right but we want to to end things with um a little practice with juno leading us in one of his mindfulness practices a little meditation uh so that if you resonated with what we were talking about this will be at the end of the podcast where you are now And you can come back to it whenever you feel so inclined. So here we go. The once, the present, the future. Juno Kim. Hmm. Starting in a seated position of your choosing, whether that's on the floor, you can be in a chair. And if neither of those work for you, feel free to lie down. The important part is choice in all of this. And just becoming aware of the sensations of breathing in this moment. No needing to guide it, no needing to control your breath in any way. Just seeing your breath as it is in this moment.
throughout this meditation if thoughts arise, which is totally normal. Returning back to the sensation of our breath in our nostrils. Returning again and again. And no need to analyze why you were gone or how you could stay more present. The moment that you recognize you're lost in thought. Gently and firmly returning to the sensations of the breath flowing in and out of your nostrils. Now inviting a sense of exploration, playing with the pace of your breath, and noticing how that changes the quality of the breath, the texture of your breath. Can you find a pace of breath that feels buttery, smooth, perhaps viscous and silky, luxurious? Noticing what pace of breath increases the sensation. And feeling the sensation grow with each outbreath. mind has wandered gently and firmly coming back to that velvety quality of our outbreath in this moment. beginning to feel this sensation that we've tapped into, this tenderness, this softness, 
with each out-breath, allowing the sensation to spread across the face, slowly, gently, on its own time. Can you feel the sensation growing with each out-breath into your throat, your neck, into your shoulders and your chest and your back? to spread across your arms, your hands, and if you lose this sensation, just returning back to being aware of the breath in and out of your nostrils. spread across the entirety of our bodies. Can you feel it spreading into your gut, into your lower back, your hips, your groin, any contact point between you and a seat or a mat feeling into the spreading across your legs, down into your knees. And can you feel it in the crease of your knee? As it gently spreads across your shins and your calves, your ankles and your feet, Feeling into the tops of your feet and the soles of your feet. And just imagining this buttery, soft tenderness going all the way from your head to your toes, the very tips of your toes. Now can you feel your entire body as a cloud of sensation?
for myself, meditation isn't so much about staying in a peaceful state, but rather it's about the return, having the willingness to return swiftly. Every time you notice you're caught in that dreamlike state of being lost in thought, in that very moment, returning gently and firmly back into our breath and the sensations that we feel in our bodies. And from this place of embodiment, we can move through life with a bit more space, which can help give us more intention and agency and a little more ease point when you feel activated in the day or you want to be a little more connected to the experience of life. Practicing embodiment, whether that be through touch or by breath, can help you ground, soothe the nervous system, and create more ease in our movement and flow throughout life. Thank you for your practice. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.